have. I got a story for you. Or it may be more of a history lesson with experiences and personal narratives woven throughout. This isn't just a locals only pod. However, if you are a slower, lower local, you're going to love it. And if you're seeking to get some perspective and a hell of a lot smarter about race and Southern Delaware, we've got a grad class, a conversation for your ass. I probably shouldn't have cursed there. If um, anyone's parents are listening, I do apologize. But first, a word from today's sponsor, andrewpsyche.com. Andrewpsyche.com, that's P-S-Y-C-H-E.com, is a -a one-of-a-kind website where Andre, the freelancing creative connoisseur, shows off his latest and greatest inspirations. I'm talking about original art, songs, books, clothing, accessories, podcasts. I mean, this motherfucker does it all because he's just letting his creative freak flag fly. Go to andrepsyche.com to view some of the uniquest merch on the World Wide Web. I downloaded a digital copy of his poetry, Space Between the Crescent Shadows. And I'm on page 67. I took a little bit of time because I got to wondering, what the fuck does that fence stand for? I paused. I reflected. I meditated to think about boundaries, risks, challenges. That's what his words are going to do. But don't get it twisted. This West Coast creative savant lets loose and goofs around too. You don't believe me? Check out his episode on the Getting to Know You pod. I believe it's number 19. Give it a listen and tell me you ain't clicking over to andrepsyche.com for some personality-filled, personally created, trippy-ass merch. So the next time you're bored of refreshing Facebook or Instagram, Twitter, whatever, open that internet browser, no longer dial up, and go to andrepsyche.com to spend a little time seeing what creative gift is there for you or your loved ones. Oh, but before you check out, actually, you might want to do this before you shop. Just hit Andre up with a message and that dude will reply with a special promo code that is one dope ass discount. AndrePsyche.com, the trippiest website for original creative merch in America. A little bit of a hyperbole there. Um, Don't sue me. That's a disclaimer. We are also brought to you by the Getting to Know You pod. If you are listening and aren't following the pod on social media, please support us. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. While this intro, these very words, while they are being spoken, please take a moment and go to those social media platforms. Search us up and follow friend us. Your support will continue to help us find unique people for all of us to listen to and gain insightful perspectives from. Hey, while you're at it, I might as well ask you to do another thing. Rate, review, subscribe the pod on Spotify, Apple Pods, Stitcher, Google Podcast. Podbean, where we host it. I mean, like, anywhere. It's all one word. Getting, the number two. No, the letter U, pod. Getting to know you, pod. One word. Also, if you would be so kind to support the pod by going to Patreon. Now, you're not, like, you don't have to, but money is money, and we would appreciate it. Just look us up. 
Your financial support helps to pay for things like the hosting fee, the video editing fee, the audio equipment, like all this shit starts adding up. Any and all of your support is appreciated. It does all matter. So thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you will do. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely. And doggone it. On today's show, we are getting to know, thanks to Hollywood Haywood Burton, Cliff. Cliff, so glad to get you on, man. I'm super excited to um, connect and get to know you. I appreciate it, man. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, and it's so rare. I, Dude, I honestly think you're the second Delaware person. I, I think this is, man, almost like the 42nd pod that I've recorded only the second Delaware person who's been on, man. So I'm I'm beyond geeked to get some Delaware lo- lo- localism. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm I'm proud, man. I hope I represent our state well. Oh, dude, if if your if your social media is any sort of indicator, um, you're you're gonna blow anyone's expectations of slower, lower away. <laughs> <laughs> Good old slower, lower, huh? Dude, that's something like I never, I, I didn't get. So I came here, I think when I was maybe 11 or 12, I was in fifth grade, went to Lewis Middle School, had Dr. Morris, who mm-hmm. just, are you familiar with Dr. Morris? Oh, yes. I got a story about him. I had him for fifth grade too. Oh, no. what, Dude, talk about a motherfucker that is like, this is what it is. And y'all bro, are like, y'all don't run this. Bro, bro, he used to kick me out every day. <laughs> He should kick me out every day. He'd say, "You know how he stands, right? You remember? You remember how he stands? He'd stand in the middle of the classroom and he'd look at me and he said, Cliff, hit it.' And and I'd have to go sit in a little corral outside of his class. So he kicked me out so much. I think some days he forgot I was out there. <laughs> what started that, dude? Like like something had to get the ball rolling on that. I don't, you know. When I tell the story, everybody asks that question. And when I tell the story, folks say, oh, Cliff, you know, you had to be ornery. And I keep I tell people that's not what it is. I know I had I know in that class I had three other of my close friends. And if you if he was the same way when I had him, when you had him as when I had him, you know, he let you pick your own seat. And yeah, right? um, that was so, weird. That's so odd for like a fifth grade because yep. like fifth grade, like elementary. But it's almost like he was setting you up. That like, you better make that right choice, boy, because if you walk in that snare, you're going to be catapulted up out of here. Yep. (laughs) And he said, he said, I'm not going to talk to y'all. He said, I'm not going to talk to y'all every day. I'm not. And I'm just not going to do it. And he's just like, he looked at me and you you remember, you know, like how he would squint. Dude, he would. Look at you, he'd squint. And he's just like, so when I tell, when I tell you to hit it, you're out of here. You just hit it. I don't, I don't want no back talk. I don't want none of that. You just hit it. And we'd be sitting in class and they, I'm sometimes they would be cutting up and he'd say, Cliff hit it. And I'd be like, what I do? And he'd stand there and he'd give you that look and I'd have to go outside and I'd be out in the hallway for, for an hour and a half, two hours. Right. It's like, that look is like, 
why are you even thinking you can ask me a question at this moment, man? Right? Like just shut it down so quick. Now I will say this one time that I remember being thrown out of there where I earned it. You remember, you remember he's uh, I don't know what belt he was, but you know, he was a um, martial arts um, specialist. Yeah. Well, like to a fifth grader, you hear that and you just think like Chuck Norris on steroids type shit. Like, like you just think he can like, there's stories going around about he slammed a pencil down and broke a desk in half because a kid forgot to write their last name on a paper. Like, right. that's what you're talking about at recess on the slides. <laughs> right. Look, he, he went to a tournament one weekend, and I, I guess things didn't go the way he wanted him to go. And he came in, he had a black eye, right? Oh. And, uh, you know, I just asked him, I said, man, what happened to your eye? <laughs> and he looked at me, and he said, Cliff, hit it. And that was first thing in the morning. It was first thing in the morning. It wasn't, it could not have been announcements, 8.30 in the morning. Right? Like announcements just ended. Yep. <laughs> Good old Dr. Morse. God. Dude, and teachers like, man, so that's amazing, right? Because like you hear a little bit about that and it's like, oh my God, he's so stern. Oh my God, he's such a jerk. And like, he would almost get blown up, right? Like social media wise. And you're not accounting for my child's trauma and the emotional needs and blah, blah, blah. But Dr. Morris got you to fight. Like my man got it done. You were acting right. You were on task. You were learning. That is the expectation. And it was all dude. It was for my first teacher in Delaware. I I loved me some Dr. Morris. Oh, wow. That hell, boy, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy and sad for you at the same time. I mean, that should not have been your introduction <laughs> to education in the state of Delaware. <laughs> dude, I wouldn't have it any other way. So it was him and the other dude that I loved. Um, And man, I wish I could remember. I believe he passed away. I want to say it was Mr. Degnan who yes. used to do like, and so I'm a teacher now and I teach at Beacon. And homeboy used to get there like an hour before school for all the walkers and do like preschool dodgeball. Yeah. Did were you a part of that? No, he um he came he came after after I left. Uh, I graduated in '95, so I'm a I'm a couple oh, years ahead gotcha. of you. So he gotcha. had uh, he came after I left. I think he was pretty fresh when you guys got there. Yeah. So I was a freshman at Cape at '95. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I was at Lewis middle school, like maybe 96, 95, 94, but dude, like that man being a teacher now and understand the liability that man took on by himself to get there. And dude, there were like 30, 40, 50 kids word got out that you could play dodgeball yeah. before school. Like, I mean, it was, dude, it, it was, it made people want to come to school to get dodgeball and then you're just at school. Oh yeah. Like brilliant, brilliant type of dudes. Um, so those are my two guys that like my first experience with uh, teachers at Cape. And I was like, I'm all in. I love the, I love the militant attitude to Dr. Morris. I, I was, dude, I was all in on that. Yeah. He's a piece of work. And I think he got, I think he got out of the business at the right time. Cause I can't imagine him with these parents that y'all dealing with today. Um, little bit of a no comment for personal <laughs> liability issues in case anyone listens. But dude, I think sometimes the the letting your child experience adversity and letting them like believing in their resilience to figure it out uh-huh. is something that's so overlooked, man. And I, and yeah. it baffles me. I'm like, why don't you want your kid to be tough or learn how to deal with this? Right? Like yeah. you're not going to die. Right? right. 
Oh. And I get them. I get them at the next level. So I, I get them when they're when they're college students and and they're mm. underprepared. Oh no, I wasn't. I don't, I don't think we cut off there. I was I no. was ready to listen to that because that's something that you hear. And I've taken graduate classes, and you know, I mean, to be a teacher, you get a degree, but then if you um, grab some areas of certification and specialize, you know, oh. you're grabbing graduate degrees, and you kind of understand like what how to write basically it's like how can you communicate in several forms and can mm-hmm. you do it in a poignant articulate specific way that's interesting which is tough yeah. right mm-hmm. like the first thing i realized when i got to college is i use the word that way too much i use the word that in like every sentence to set everything up and yes. and and it's like dude you got 400 extra words in here you're like why are you making me read through this blubber like fix it and you're like whoa and at first you take it a little harsh, but then when you reflect back, you're like, man, that could have been nipped in the bud in like sixth, seventh grade. That's not difficult. <laughs> right. Right. I I think for me, um, as a freshman turning in um a paper that I you know, I thought it was decent. You right. know, I mean I know I didn't I didn't give it my all, but you know, I, I felt it was a pretty good representation of my work and getting that paper back and you know, you're in a for me, I'm in a, a introduction to American uh, civics class, and this professor just, I mean, he just shredded my work. <laughs> it, I think it had more red than it had uh, black, and I was like, whoa. And, uh, and you know, and you, you when they give it to you, you know, in high school, the teachers gave you the verbal um, dialogue about the work that you handed in, you know, they might oh, write man. good job or yeah, needs yeah. improvement, but they didn't give you any, any, any detail. It wasn't. Yeah. It's not dude. It's, it's like a It's like an NFL coach breaking down offensive linemen coming off the snap, like kind of a breakdown when you can get to college with good teachers. Like it's intricate. Right. I mean, you know, this professor, he run on sentence dangling participles, <laughs> I, I was like, whoa. Why, why are you shifting your tenses from present to past? Right. <laughs> and you're like, oh shit, am I? Do I? Did I? Which one? Oh fuck, what do I stick with? Right. <laughs> oh yeah, good old college, huh? And, and you know, the the interesting thing that you see circulate now, you get a lot of people, and it seems in America there's this there's this disdain for higher education. And so, you know, you get people who say things like, well, a college degree is just a piece of paper. Mm. And, um, you know, um, I know people who never went to college and they make more money than people who went to college and they don't have half the, half the debt, blah, right. blah, blah. Those people don't understand that the experience of college is way more than just sitting in a classroom is being able to adjust to a professor who's just meeting you and is totally shredding um, your ability to communicate in written format. Right. Dude, Dr. Morris, man. Like, right. You take it back to that. And like, that's why you love dudes like that because you go through that in fifth grade. You're not phased. You're like, all right, man, (laughs) what's the standard? Let me roll. Right. Right. And also, in terms of Dr. Morse, so after a year of pretty much uh, getting thrown out every day, and here's the interesting <laughs> thing: I kicked out of his class every day. I never got, I never had any um, written discipline because, Dude, no. I, I, yeah, 
So you're not suspended. You know, it's not building up some weird point system. My man's like, I'm just not putting up with it. I'm sorry. Right. I, yeah, go ahead. No, no, you're absolutely <laughs> right. But when I got to the sixth grade, behaviorally, I was I was a completely different student because I, I don't know if I was shell shocked that I was thrown out every day right. the previous year, but I knew whatever it was I was doing in fifth grade. In sixth grade, I was going to have to do something different. <laughs> and um, I know that it was very weird that I'd get thrown out and not getting written up. And I just didn't want to take chances that um, at the next level and beyond that that I would be getting disciplined every day and not get written up. So, I mean, maybe maybe he maybe he had the best behavior modifier at all. I mean, of all. Well, right. So, like, why do you think why do you think he didn't write kids up? And I'm not saying, you know, but like, just like to theorize, like, cause nowadays dude, like if, if somebody like you get kicked out of class for a minute, all of a sudden, you know, it's getting logged and there's phone calls home and there's all this extra drama. And you're like, why? I think if you really think about it, the paperwork and all the stuff that he'd have to do behind a write up, (laughs) I think he just, I think he just preferred not to do it. And I think that he felt like, look, first of all, I'm not going to let him act a fool where he's totally disrupting. I'm throwing this guy out before he's a harm to anybody but himself. Right. And and so I think he figured a better to throw him out early than let him be a total distraction. And I keep the paperwork to a minimum. And if, and if this little, if this little joker is a monster, who knows what his parents are like? I might, he might not want to deal with my parents. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a good point. Dr. Morris, like if this is a kid from those parents, but Dr. Morris, one of them old school and that's something about Delaware, like back then, especially like if you, if you were a seasoned teacher, you probably actually taught the parents of the kid too. If you didn't teach him, you knew, you knew who they were because you saw right. them in the community. Yeah, no doubt. Right. So like he might've known it. He, and like, I'm not talking about this specifically to you, but that's such a great point. Cause it was so small at the time where it's like, man, I ain't messing with dumb people. Whatever. And they, they're not going to care that I'm kicking a kid out kind of a thing. And they don't need no paperwork or like, I'll just talk to him when I see him at the IGA, you know, yep. like yep. real simple type, um, just relational based behavior modification. Yeah. And see, I had this, this other thing, like I was a straight honor roll student from, from third grade until I graduated high school. Oh. And so it's like, so on one hand, you've got this, this, this disruptive kid. But he's reasonably intelligent. So I'll just throw his ass out. If he keeps getting good grades, good. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a good point. You know, and I want to be clear, too, that, um, you know, though that is Dr. Morris's, that was his preferred method in dealing with me. I'm not in any way saying that Dr. Morris was not a quality teacher or that I received some type of uh, childhood trauma based on my experiences with Dr. Morris, because oh, that's just not the case. Dude, it, it it's like a war story. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, like, that's amazing that we li- literally, we've never spoken to before. We message a little bit on Facebook. We talk five minutes before I hit record. And by happen chance, we both dealt with Dr. Morris and like, couldn't be more appreciative of what the man is and did for setting a tone. Oh yeah. He told me on the last day of school and it's something that I've always taken with me. Um, 
he asked me to help him uh, clean out his his uh, his classroom. Oh. And um, yeah, I don't know if you knew this or not, but you know he's a he's a, a classic Corvette um, aficionado. I did not. Oh yeah, and he used to have a um, a marine green stingray. Ooh. Ooh. And I never knew I never knew who that belonged to. I would see it sometimes, but I never knew who it belonged to. And on the last day of school, um, I was tell, talking to a couple of my friends in class and I was like, yo, that court. You remember when you were younger and you'd be like, that's my car. Yeah. Oh, you know, dude, you, I used to like, like you'd walk by and be like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So uh, so I'm I'm looking at uh, this Corvette and I said I said to one of my friends, I was like, that's my car. And my friend was like, um, oh, OK. So Dr. Morris is like, hey. Um, I want you, if you can, to help me move out of my classroom. And so I'm like, what? And I'm thinking, man, after this experience I've had with this guy, I know he's as ready for me to go as I am for him. (laughs) And so he's like, I'll give he's like, I'll give you a ride home. Hey, look, a chance to ride in a Corvette. No. Right. For kid, you know, a kid from uh, low income housing. I'm like, Yeah. yeah. So. When he gets me home, he tells me, um, you have a good summer. And I asked him, I said, you know, I didn't do it every time you threw me out. Why'd you throw me out every day? And he told me because I I threw you out because I knew that was going to be the only way that the rest of your friends was going to have an opportunity to learn because you can learn with me kicking you out. Wisdom. They might not could learn with me letting you sit there. I'm, I'm, I just, it, it sucks because sometimes when you don't know someone, you want to pause just to let shit sink in. Mm-hmm. But people don't understand that is a legit real strategy because there are dudes that can clown the whole time and yep. still pass tests and still get the gist of it where the dis- people they're distracting can't. Yep. Yep. And that's why I was clear earlier when I said that I want to be clear 100%. that I did not have some childhood traumatic experience yeah. in his class. Well, dude, he's a fucking doctor. Like he knows mm-hmm. what he's doing, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, and I didn't realize this. So I grew up in New York City. Um, my mother worked for Kiss FM, ninety eight point seven. So when mm-hmm. I moved to Delaware, I didn't get the racial undertones in Sussex County. Like, oh. do, do you know what I'm saying? Like back yeah. in, the, and I'm going with college, and then later on in my life, I'm going through college classes, and I'm experiencing um, authors coming to my class talking about like. You know why in Milford, Dairy Queen has two windows, don't you? You know that was like prior to the Brown versus the Board of Education. And I'm like, Delaware? Oh, yeah. Like it was serious, serious. So all that to say like for a black man to be a doctor, that had to be somewhat of an anomaly to be like that official in a government stance. Or am I kind of like... Again, I wasn't aware as a kid. Am I kind of misremembering that or am I pretty accurate in what I'm feeling? So though in those communities uh, that fed the school district that that we both attended and in uh, that county, there were there were black doctors, but the frequency of them were few and far in between. Okay. Um I think that one of the thing that community you have to know the history of that community and to know the history of that community as it relates to um African Americans in particular lots of them moved to that area for work it used to be um a heavy and very strong fishing and canning industry there 
um, as well as the meat processing uh, industry, which still exists there. So my people came from, but my grandfather, he came from um, a place called Murfreesboro in North Carolina. And my grandmother came from an area outside of Elizabeth City, North Carolina. And uh, both of them migrated to Delaware um, under different circumstances, but work is what brought them both there, um, seeking better economic times. So many of the um, African-American families that were not indigenous to the county came looking for work. And and that's why you have a heavy blue collar um, community of African-Americans. Got you. So we're talking and dude, and you're going to know way more about this than me. Cause like I said, I'm a transplant, you know, but is that, that like King Cole connection? Isn't that yep. where dogfish is now? Like that was yep. one of That's those right. huge spots where, uh, but I didn't realize that. So that was like, I, and I don't even yep. know how to ask this without sounding stupid, but I sound stupid often when I ask things like why Delaware for the work? Is, is it more like, pay? Is it more housing? Is it more affordable? Like, Hey, I can make this much money an hour and I can then buy this much land, this much home. I think it was all, I think it was all the above. Uh, one of the things you have to remember, um, Delaware wasn't a destination place until probably 30, you know, 30 years ago or so. Um, so there was a lot of land that was available. You know, some of it had to be cleared away, but where there's, where there's land for cheap, the availability of work and other people of color, gotcha. you tend to become a um, destination spot for um, for like for like-minded folks. So I think that that's how it winds up being a destination spot for lots of people coming. Um, like I said, the canning, meat processing, and the fishing industry. That's what's missing now. Now, when you think about yeah, you don't um, even think about that. You, you think right. maybe charter boats or like booze cruises, but you're not thinking like we got legit fishermen here. That's right. Look, let me, I'm, I'm going to hit you with something. I'm a historian too. So, um, Dude, you know, this it. stuff jumps out. I love so, it. So when you think of Milton, okay, you know what Milton was originally known for? Oh, dude, I feel, so I just, <laughs> I just kayaked the broad kill to the, um, Roosevelt Inlet. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I felt like when I was researching, it was a orig- originally a harbor for ship repair. For ship repair and building, it was oh. the it was the major shipbuilding and repair hub south of New England. No way. See, you never you would never think that. How about is that Milton. more? What so that explains the Mariner Middle School number one, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Shipbuilder, like yep. below New England, major. Yep. Holy God! How did the yep. ships make it up that freaking like the Broadkill? Just, <laughs> like, dude, just, a, just, a la- just a launching location. And if right. you if you think about it's it, whiny. it's perfect. Right? Dude, it's so wide. Like, I was amazed how many like turns you go north, south, east, and west, and it is tight on the broad yeah. kill unless something's mm-hmm. changed. Yep. Yep. But that's what it that's what it was known for. And then Milton also was the whole what we would consider um the incorporated portion of Milton. It used to be a huge orchard. When you go into Milton, and um, I know because my grandmother's house, my grandmother and her neighbors, between my grandmother's house and one neighbor to the right and one neighbor to the left, I'm just going to name the different trees that were in their yards. Okay. Cherry, cherry tree, crab apple tree, pecan tree, 
Whoa. black walnut tree. Whoa. Isn't that something? Dude, that, yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> like, you, you, you don't think of that. Like in ta- you're talking like in town Milton. You're not talking like down, yeah. like near 30. No, I'm spot. talking, I'm talking the intersection of orchard and Mulberry street. Yeah. No, that, that is amazing, dude. Yep. So, um, yeah. So, so, you know, these types of things attract people, um, to uh, African-Americans to the area. And then I think when they got here, um, compared to the places they were coming from, relatively good living, but Sussex County, I tell people, it says, though you picked up a piece of Mississippi and dropped it to the North. Whoa. How so? Yeah. No. Yeah. Elaborate on that. Help me. Help me understand. So if you look at Delaware's history, you know, Delaware during the civil war, Delaware is we're taught K through 12 that there was the North and the South. That's bullshit. (laughs) Right. Just, you know, because when you get to college, we teach it different. It's taught different. So you had the North, which is Pennsylvania and above. And then you have the South, which is Virginia and South. So that's and I'm just going to pause you there because. Not that I'm going to cut you off, but can I tell you that I didn't realize? And so I did a little bit of catering and I went mm-hmm. out, I think it was down 14. It was just outside of Milford, but not hitting Harrington. Mm-hmm. And I roll up on this plantation looking thing and I'm serving hors d'oeuvres to all these uppity people. And I'm just like amazed by this old farmhouse from like the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Out of nowhere, my man says, Hey man, you've been doing a great job tonight. Can I, um, I, I like to show you a little piece of history. I'm like, what? He goes, come down to me with the ba- to the basement. And I'm thinking like something's funny up, right? Like I kind of got my guards up. I'm like, dude, I don't, I don't know which way you lean in kind of a thing. Like well, what's going to happen? He goes to a fireplace and says, this home is historic because it was part of the underground railroad. Mm-hmm. And this fireplace takes you where people used to escape slavery and walk along creeks and riverbanks. Yeah. And I guess I say that to emphasize, like people don't realize Delaware was in that weird, not middle, is middle ground the right word for that? Upper South, upper South. Right? Like, like Maryland, Maryland and Delaware are classified um, now um, in history books as the upper South. Gotcha. And so they hold the distinction of not only being um, areas where, you know, it's, it's kind of mixed, right? But they also had the highest concentrations of free blacks um, during slavery. Oh, no way. Because it's heavily, heavily populated by Quakers and um, by Quakers and Methodists. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Founder of uh, the founder of the um, African Methodist Episcopal Church and his best friend. Um, I'm talking right now about Richard Allen, and I'm talking about his best friend, who's um, Absalon Jones. Um, both of them were slaves in Delaware who would make their way to Pennsylvania and would unite in Pennsylvania with a man by the name of James Fortin, uh, who is the wealthiest African-American um, of his time. And together, they would form the Philadelphia Free Slave Society, and they would also form the first freestanding black churches. Um, and uh, Richard Allen himself um, was a slave in Rehoboth and in Lewis. 
And um, his master, uh, who would rent him out, lived on a plantation um, just north of just north of Milford, but south of Dover Air Force Base. And Absalom Jones was a slave in the area that would today be called um, Slaughternet. Absalom Jones. Yep. Jesus. So do you remember, like, what, what are we at? 35 minutes ago when I'm like, hey, man, I'm just going to, like, keep asking you about you. And then all of a sudden you start dropping all this knowledge and I'm hella interested. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I do, man. Dude. <laughs> Jesus Christ, like, dude, I'm going to post this thing be like, yo, locals only. If you ain't from <laughs> Delaware, you don't even need to stop by unless you want a real education. Oh, my oh, no. God. Everybody, everybody needs this education, man. Um, dude, folks, I... folks say Delaware, and they don't understand just how, how rich and steeped it is in history and tradition. So, and, and this, this may come across um, ignorant as all get out. Richard Allen, why mm-hmm. am I thinking chickens? Is there a chicken connection? No, not at okay. all. Um, Just a different, the, the different Allen's name? family, uh, poultry folks, um, no relation to him. Richard Allen is known uh, most affectionately as the father, as the grandfather of the um, black church because he founded the African Methodist Episcopal Church, which um, then and still is the largest congregation of African Americans in the United States and worldwide. Gotcha. Christian congregation of African Americans, I should say. So your family's in Milton. Why are you going to school in Lewis? So my mother raised my brother and I in Lewis. We are pretty much the only members of our clan that were not in the Milton or Slaughterneck area. Oh, and were you one of the like West 4th Street by the other side of the Brickhouse Pond? Absolutely so. Oh, yes, dude. Give me that because like, dude, there's still... And, and this is what I get upset about. You go for bike rides, you go walking around and you see like, like the trailers that have like four additions built onto them. Mm-hmm. And like people are just slowly getting a means to expand their square footage. And you can hear people talking about like eyesores and, and you want to say like, fuck off, man. Like, do you not understand that that's not an eyesore? That's historical. Now yeah. it may not be as beautiful as whatever your shell built home, whatever, but like, it's not any less valuable. Right. So when I grew up, um, so Lewis, first of all, by, by Lewis natives, you delineate the different parts of Lewis this way. Second street and that business district down there, Mm -hmm. natives refer to that as downtown Lewis. West fourth street and where uh, DuPont Avenue, Park Avenue, um, Johnson street, they refer to that as in town Lewis. So you always knew um, if you were talking to a Lewis native, exactly which part of Lewis people would be talking about. Say, Hey, I'm going downtown. Then you're going to be down there. Second street where the bank and where the shops were. But if a person said, I'm going in town Lewis, then you were going to be um, in a neighborhood, uh, in the African-American neighborhood. And that was almost a hundred percent African-American in town was a hundred percent African-American as far as I can remember from the time I was a baby until probably when I started high school. Um, that's the late 80, the late eighties, I'll say it's just right. a little bit before I went to high school is when demographically that area started to change. And I know, um, I had a grandfather who lived in Lewis as well, and he moved out of Lewis after his home was damaged by hurricane Gloria in 1987. Oh. And, um, shortly after that, um, a lot of gentrification started to set in. 
Now, is it related to BB at all expanded? Because West 4th Street is kind of right there, man. No, I, um, I, you know, maybe there's some historian out there that knows something that I don't. Gotcha. Um, it's just, that's just how it was. I don't think that the, I don't think the boundaries were drawn, um, in accordance to anything nefarious that I've ever heard. Um, I just know that there were prosperous, uh, African-Americans who lived in those areas and that's the area they lived in. Um, and largely they lived harmoniously. They didn't have, they didn't have a lot of problems, um, in terms of like, you know, KKK activity or anything like that, Mm. um, that I know of, um, in Lewis or that I heard of growing up in, Based on my family, you know, coming to Lewis, uh, you know, like my grandfather, he went to Lewis in the late 40s, early 50s. Oh, wow. So. Stake the claim and then families just spreading out from there, huh? Mm-hmm. Now, the Fred Thomas building, which is like right there as well, that mm-hmm. was, I mean, originally that is, and wasn't the YMCA as well, like the yes. Blacks only school. Yes, those those were um, those were the this in Delaware. The colored schools were designated with a C and then a number. Um, well, you're from New York. New York was that way too. Yeah, um, I didn't. I, I yes, didn't realize. Yes, those were uh, the designated colored schools, and um, they got a boost from. Um, you'll recognize this last name, Dupont. Dupont? Yeah, Dupont. They, they got a, a boost from the philanthropy of Pierre S. Dupont when um, he used his personal finances. Um, I believe it was to build um, twenty some. I don't know if it was twenty two or twenty nine, but twenty some. Um, what became known as Dupont schools, but it was to cr- provide better facilities and adequate facilities for African Americans to receive an education pre Brown versus board in Delaware. Right. And at the same time too, Dell tech was the black high school, right? William C. Jason. Yes. God, That's I'm, correct. Yeah. And that was a countywide high school. Yeah. So Delaware. wherever you went as an African American kid in Sussex County, you had one high, it basically is like almost like Sussex tech where like yes. we're taking everything except you didn't apply. You happen to be an African-American you're in. Absolutely. Yeah, man. I, when I heard that, I'm like, what? Yep. Like you, you just don't, you, you don't even realize. And especially the YMCA, like I guarantee you there are thousands of people don't realize like YMCA actually leases that from the school district that it's in. And right. it was a, black school because from what I'd heard, African Americans weren't allowed to cross the canal after dark. And that's how yes. West Rehoboth had kind of started. Um yes. Um, no. I mean it's a I, I'm, and I'm again this is what I hear, man. Feel free to correct me. I'm no, I'm unoffendable. Um, yes, I, I've heard I've heard some of those stories. Um I'm not as strong with the history, but I do know that there there was a divider. It would make sense that the canal could have been that divider. But I also know that um, West Rehoboth was um, first established as a camp, a a white farmer who employed um, African-Americans. Um, oh. he, it, he owned that parcel originally, and he sold those parcels to his workers because his workers were having a hell of a time finding um reasonable and affordable housing. And that was one thing that he did um, to try to help uh, his workers. And it turned into a flourishing uh, community. God. So for all the con- so for all the conversation and dialogue about the deep-seated um, racism, we have to also understand that 
even then, as always, um, there were people who were trying to be change agents. No, no doubt, dude. That's yeah. And are you looking favorably upon these Duponts? Are you taking that as pity stuff? Are you taking that as like, thank you, man, for caring. Thank you for trying to almost right these wrongs. So, uh, or is that again? Term, is that like a stupid question to ask, man? But like, no, I'm, think, I'm so interested in how like people perceive handouts versus hands up, kind of a thing. Well, I think Pierre de, Pierre S. Dupont built the buildings. I think that he did it from what I've read and, and what I've been able to understand because I actually know some of his descendants. Um, what I've read and what I understand about him, it was genuine. It was from the heart, and he was about education. He he got mocked. Um, at a convention, because you know he was a uh, he his family they were chemists, but right. um, on top of being a chemist, he was an engineer. So he was at um, if I'm not mistaken, he was at a convention in uh, Michigan. And while he was at this convention, someone was telling like a, a horrible jerky joke to you know they asked like you know where are you from, and um, they were basically telling a horrible joke, essentially saying that Delaware is just full of hillbillies, <laughs> and um, you know uneducated hillbillies. Right. And um, someone also made a off color joke about um, you know you can't tell in Delaware you really couldn't tell um, a white person from a uh, N word. Um, because educationally, they're about the same. And uh, Pierre Dupont, he came back. And when he came home, number one, he wanted to help raise the academic profile of the state of Delaware. But he also mm. knew and understood that um, African-Americans needed um, an opportunity because if there's a world full of people like this. Because remember, he was filthy rich. Oh, dude, uh, beyond um, filthy know, rich. Like, yeah, you know, like, in, yeah, like, like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Transcendent. In a, wor- in a world with people like this, um, even the lowest man would need an opportunity to succeed. And I think that is what motivated him uh, to build those schools. What Do you have any idea what was going on before those schools? Is it homeschooling? Like, no, are, had, are you going to church? No, they still had schools. Um, you know, you, you folks may do. You know, some folks had private houses that they had turned into that turned into schools. Um, there were there were schools. Most most of the community uh, most of the communities had some type of resource. Now we we know that African American children, um, especially coming out of slavery, were educated sometimes in churches or sometimes in buildings that were established in churches. I mean, you know, that's the that's the predecessor, and right. that's how most HBCU. Uh, came about in the early days mm. as well. So, um, you know, they were in Delaware, they were being educated, just the facilities were just subpar and, and nowhere near um, equal, you know, right. separate but equal definitely was not applying to the schools in Delaware. Yeah, man. Like you look, you look back at that, at that, just that wording and you just cringe. You're just like, how did that pass the say it out loud test? Right. You know, like it, it, man, it, it, that, that kind of stuff amazes me. Um, cause it's so hard to understand. And again, dude, like I'm not super far removed and we're about the same age, but I just gr- growing up and I don't know if it's cause I like, I was in New York and just being in a city, like you're, you're just around all sorts of people. So you tend to not judge people with stereotypes more like how they treat you. Do they follow through on their word kind of stuff? And it was odd to me. Um, it really was odd to me. I remember moving down here being like, why, like, why do the black kids and the white kids not like play together? 
Like, why, why is it weird that I want to hang out with some of the black kids? <laughs> like, like why, why, you know, and it's like, well, they're, they're nice. They're kids. I don't, I don't get it. Like, it's just who you are. Like you go to your friends and it was super eye opening to me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Man, who knew, who knew I would be speaking to a local historical historian. What do I call you? Expert? I Savant? Mean, I'm a, uh, uh, you know. This is just who I am. This is what I do. This is just what I do. It's just what I do. I'm, I'm just Cliff. Uh, you know, for better or worse, you know, Cliff brings out the a wide range of emotions uh, from from folks in, in our home community. Some people absolutely love me. Some people cannot stand me. It's just what it is. Oh, can't stand you because you get like you don't. And again, maybe we're just being like cordial or whatever. Like, what can't they stand, man? Are you super opinionated about a specific things or so? First and foremost, I'm unapologetically black, right? <laughs> I don't make any apologies for being African American. I love the beautiful skin that I'm in, right? And I'm highly educated. Clearly. Now, some folks that knew me when we were in grade school and those types of things, a lot of the little racist and sideways things that they might not even recognize are racist. A lot of those things that, that they say or that they felt, you know, maybe they don't see themselves, you know, in, in a racist space, but growing up, I felt it, Mm. but black folks code switch constantly. And when I became an adult, especially after I attended Delaware State University as an undergrad, where I was in a space where I could comfortably learn with and around people who look like me. Like I tell people, just for a moment, right? I I, I tell my vanilla brothers and sisters, just for a moment, think about this. From the time that I was in first grade until I graduated high school, I hated Black History Month. Oh, wow. I hated it because inevitably some white kid would say, why do we got to study black history month? We don't study white history month. Oh, damn. And I used to, and, and I just, I knew it would happen. I couldn't wait for February to come and go. When I got to Delaware State University, I realized just how traumatic that had been for me. Because no child, no student should ever feel like they're undervalued or marginalized. And that's what that experience was for me. Mm. I took as many Black Studies courses as I could. And the more educated I became and the more I was in an environment with people who looked like me, I began, and we're talking about not just people, you know, from your local community, because that's what K through 12 is. I'm talking about Delaware State has students from all over the world. Yeah. That, yeah. that go there. And so, you know, I'm there. I'm excelling because the Cape Pelican School District did give me a superior education, K through 12. Shout out. I would, yeah, I would tell anybody that I put, I put my education, my, uh, my K through 12 education next to anybody's. Right. <laughs> no, dude. Which, like, yeah, man, if you're, if you're about it, man, those opportunities are there. Right. Yeah. So, 
um, you know, I just I began to excel. And then as I began to excel, I would come back. Um, but after I graduated from Delaware State, I, I got a job in Newcastle County. Um, so I immediately moved to Newcastle County, which is where I where I've been um, since graduating from college. And the more I would come home because I come home frequently, the more I'd come home, I start to notice differences. Right. And when I lived there, I didn't notice that a lot of people just accepting of certain things. And I'm not. I'm very outspoken. I'm very articulate. And I do not have a problem telling someone if you say something stupid to me, I will tell you that's the least intelligent thing that if I've if it's today, I will tell you that's the least intelligent thing I've heard today. If it's this (laughs) week, I will tell you this week. So, oh yeah. So oh yeah. Th- this th- and I don't know if it's going to be the least intelligent thing I've said while we've been recording, but I am going to ask just to I-, I think I have an understanding. When you say code switch, mm-hmm. can you just I-, I don't even want to like put words in your mouth. Like what do you mean when you're saying code switch? African Americans African Americans operate in a dual society. So there is the society where we go to work and we have to interact with uh, with people who don't look like us or uh, share culture yeah. with us. And then there is our life when we are among people who we share a culture with. Um, switching back and forth, navigating back and forth, that's code switching. Listen, when when I hear when I hear a ignorant or unintelligent Caucasian person on my free time or at home that says something that is borderline racist. I'll say to that person, are you aware what you just said is absolutely racist? And if you said that to me again, it could be hazardous to your health. (laughs) If, if your economic means relies on you having this job and and someone says one of those oh one of these things that's racist but they're like oh i didn't know it was racist if i told them if you say that to me again it's gonna be hazardous to your health i'm gonna have to look for new employment oh jesus so you have to be you have to be able to code switch and so that's what i mean got you got you and it happens it happens Man, that so I'd spoken and it's it, it was interesting because I had just spoken to this guy Dylan who's um a Hawaiian and he lives in Hawaii and um then I spoke to another guy Dan who's a white guy that moved to Hawaii and Dylan didn't bring this up at all but Dan as a white guy brought it up and he said Hawaii is one of the places in America where entitled white people come and face racism when they interact with the Polynesians. And their white privilege doesn't at all get catered to because the Polynesians are like, yeah, this is our land. The Hawaiians are like, dude, what are you doing? This is our land. Like you, you don't, you don't, you're not the minority or you're not the majority right now. You're the minority. And it's, it's almost like one of those things where you really can't understand. Like I, it's so hard to understand what that actually feels like with this code, like with code switching or like worrying about your employment. Because you can't act or react to unjust or just stupid shit that people say the way you want to, man. Like, it's, right. man. 
And I think, you know, to an, to an extent, you know, other people code switch too. You know, I don't want you thinking that African-Americans are the only ones who code oh, switch. Well, yeah, no, but, because there's social norms, right? Like there's social right. appropriate things that you just realize. I can't, I can't curse around this person or I need to act a certain way in this setting. Absolutely. Right. right. But people, people say racist shit all the time. And they, some, some of them don't really know that what they said is racist. Um, a, uh, a friend of mine that I grew up with, I can tell you that I don't believe uh, that he's a racist. But he's had he has a very strong relationship with me, and you know he's comfortable because I've known him I've known him since second grade. And you know I was talking to him one day, and he's talking about um, about President Obama, and he said, you know. I'm not a racist or anything, he said, but I swear, man, ever since Obama got elected, a white person can't say anything to a black person without them feeling that what is said is racist. And I turned to him and I said, correction, a white person can say anything that they want to say to anyone. I said, but the thing is now most black people are fed up with listening to racist shit from white people. Yeah. And they are telling you now that the shit you're saying is racist. You have had the fortune of growing up in a society where you've never had to think about what you said before. Wow. You just say whatever it is that you wanted to say. I said, now folks are more conscious and folks are just fed up with that and they'll check you. I said, now, depending on what you say, you might need a medic. And to who you say it. <laughs> yeah. And, and and listen, and to that end, right? So I don't like or use the N-word. I understand there's lots of reasons why some people of color do. I'm not judging anybody else. I'm just saying I don't like it. It is what I call an at-risk word. And so people say, well, what do you mean by an at-risk word? So you say that word at your own risk. I said, now, (laughs) that's not reserved for white people. That's everybody. I have to tell black people sometimes, don't call me that. And they'd be, oh, what do you mean? You know, blah, 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 blah. I'm just, just, don't call me that. It's at risk for everybody because you don't know. I know. I know my family's history. I know how far and how long my bloodline has been in this country and what certain members of my ancestral tree experienced here. And I never want to be referred to as as that, not by a white person, not by a black person. Call me brother. Call me anything else you want. Don't call me that. And so it's a risk word. So you're definitely not one of those like we're using the word to like take the power back camp. No, I'm not one of them. I'm not judge. I won't judge other people who do. Right. But my thing is this, as I've gotten older, because I don't want you to, I don't want you to think I never use it ever in my life. Because when I was younger, I've used it. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not sitting here, you know, just holier than thou. No, I, um, I'm I not do. taking it that way. I guess I'm like okay. perspective. I feel like it, you almost, I, I've heard both sides of that argument where we use it because it's empowering because we've changed it because we've made it our own. And then also like, 
I don't use it because of the implications like you're getting at to it's a slave reference. So okay. why would I keep that alive? And and that's all I was getting at with it, man. I wasn't yeah. doing the um, holier than thou. Yeah, no, I'm just saying, I'm saying about me and saying that because there's there'll be some black person somewhere like Negro, please. You know, you didn't use that word before. Well, right? dude, if you're if you're coming up in the '90s and like that West Coast rap is coming to Delaware, I mean, <laughs> right. like you're just hearing stuff and it's an explosion of like racist assault, but it's not right. And right. and I think that was the popularization. If you go like Dre, I, for for me it was you know the Dre Snoop Dogg stuff where you're just like holy shit why did what, like why is this being said so often? Yeah. And then right. like I don't know if it's just coming of age or the the um like the market that made it so made more people aware or comfortable, but you yeah, just started noticing it so much more where it's just like dropping into natural conversations and you're like wow really oh yeah the commercialization i mean yeah you know folks folks found a profit in it um and for me uh the commercialization of it started with uh nwa um for me you know nobody anybody else See, like i said i am a little bit older than you so yeah. it's a little bit before dr dre and them but definitely with nwa yeah. um they definitely brought it to mainstream and heavily uh proliferated the music right i want to go back and ask you about obama's impact in your life man because mm-hmm. uh, again, just, and I, I'm not trying to be a fanboy, but I kind of am a fanboy. I like, I, it's just so enjoyable to listen to intelligent people explain things. Um, can you speak to a little bit about what it was like? Cause dude, you're, you're absolutely right. When you're talking about now you can't just say things as a white person and get away with it. You get called out on it where we mm-hmm. had 40 plus presidents where you didn't realize there could be a different kind of president. Right. You have 40, you have 43. Right. Um, I'll say this about um, President Obama. Um, he's a transcendent figure to me. And first and foremost, he was the first person. I spent a lot of time with my grandmother, my grandfather, my older members of my family. Um, I was taught very well. And and when you grew up in uh, black families, like I grew up in black families, you learn respect. You learn you learn the natural order of things from them. And growing up, especially when they saw that I had a love for um, politics and a, a love for history and law, um, they used to say, as it related to um, voting, because of where they came from, voting was very important to them. They voted every chance they could oh, because they knew what they knew that their parents couldn't. Right. I'm talking about my grandparents now. Yeah. So um, one of the things that they I used to hear growing up all the time is that you'll have a white woman president before you'll have a black president. And they used to say, you won't see a black president in, our, in my lifetime if you ever see one. Wow. Now, my grandfather had passed uh, before President Obama, but um, my grandmother and many of my great aunts absolutely lived um, to see President Obama and to see both um, to see both um, administrations, so both terms. So that was one of the he proved one of the one of the only times that they had said something that I could put my finger on and say, well, that wasn't true. That did they talk. That wasn't true. <laughs> um, uh, so so there's that part. That's awesome. What was their reaction? Like, so you're talking a little bit of smack to them. Are they like happy oh, that no. you're able oh, to no. talk that I didn't smack? Do that. Or are they I didn't talk, no, I didn't talk smack to any of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. No. You just kept it no. to yourself. No. 
Stop, buddy. man. For real? Mm-hmm. Listen, my grandmother was, I think she's 80 or 81 when she passed away. I can't remember which one. And she passed away two years ago. Um, as big a man as I am, because I'm I'm six feet, 330. Oh, as big as big a man as I am, and my grandma was a short little woman. My grand my grandmother might be five four, maybe, maybe. Uh uh-uh. uh, you let just just you learn just the fear that this woman struck um, <laughs> me growing up. Uh, you know that that translates into respect when you become an adult. But yeah. she's a fiery person, and I just think for them. It was so beautiful to watch my to watch my grandma, the pride that I saw on her. And, and listen, my family talks politics at any function at a, at a cookout. You know, we will discuss politics. So my dialogue about politics, you see on uh, my social media feed. Um, listen, I was very well prepared first with my family and then um, by education at DSU. But um, just to see how elated they were and that something that they Something that was so, so far out of their imagination was something that they got to see. That was amazing. I also thought that for years they used to tell us, you can be anything you want to be. And, you know, when they said it, they meant it. But I believe that in the back of their mind, they also knew that there are still limitations. And Mm -hmm. I think President Obama, the election of President Obama showed um, people that when when we say you can be anything you want to be, you could be the most powerful person in the free world. And to me, um, that is his lasting legacy. You know, there's plenty of things that that I could say that I'm proud of, but um, that is the greatest impact that he had is the presence of knowing that the descendants of slaves in this country could rise and ascend to the highest office in the land. And then, of course, you have what we have today. God, what a 180. Jesus, it's so sad, man. It's so, man, like, I, I get it. Like, stock market was doing great. Appreciate that, right? Like, way to get the pension going. But fuck, man, like, Obama was just so, like, you miss. Like you'll hear clips every now and again, like when people like play stuff back about back and you're like, just so fucking articulate, just yep. got it. And at the same time, like n- not to like demean him by calling him cool, but mm-hmm. would be a great fucking hang. Like you could just like, it, he always knew how to be relatable, even though he was so removed from the everyday person because of his position, he yep. made you feel like I'm going through this with you because he understood it, man. Like it just... It sucks. He had to just think to be a black man in America and to make it to become president of the United States, you had to be supremely educated, right? You had to be. And he beat a Clinton. He fucking beat a Clinton. Dude, I was reading this history book about when the nation was coming together and New York didn't want to ratify because they had such economical value in owning that port. And you know who was fucking going against the people who were trying to unite the country? The last name was Clinton. And I'm like, they've been doing that. They've been running this country since the 17s. And Obama put her in her place. It's amazing. 
I mean, you know, it's just, you know, he's a transcendent figure. And then, you know, you go and you look and you say, okay, you have to be all these things. You have to be the best of the best. He had to be squeaky clean because if there was anything in his background. Like a birth certificate? (laughs) Right. Right. If there was anything in his background, they would have used to stop his attention to that office. Didn't they try? Jesus, didn't they try? And and then (laughs) you turn around. And you get this. Yeah. This is a demonstration, right? When when black people tell you that racism was alive and well in America, and since this is getting to know you, um, one of my major platforms as a social justice activist is around racial equity and racial equality. When I remember being... Um, a co-ed in college. And I remember I would tell white people, like, listen, racism is just as bad today as it was. They'd be like, oh, no, no, you're, this is all in your head. And you'd be like, hmm. no, this is not in our head. This is what we experience. And they'd say, oh, no, you know, you're placing limitations on yourself. This is a post-racial society. Hmm. Bull hockey. So, like, dude, it- People don't understand like what I, I shouldn't say people don't understand, but I don't know if people realize like generations, like there are people alive today that dealt with segregation. Yes. And like you yes. don't you you don't you don't realize and a lot of the the age, think about the people who are making laws and are in power. Are are yep. they young where they they didn't know segregation, or are they older that were raised by people who had segregation times ten? Just think about this. Think about think about a seventy plus year old. Yeah. Um who a seventy plus year old lived not only during segregation, but they grew up. That's what know, they don't be, think about, dude. Became teenagers yes. at a time when racism was openly allowed. Dude, and what are they hearing at dinner from their parents that grew up in the tens and twenties? Yes. Or right? or if you had a parent that was arrested at a Ku Klux Klan rally, what would you have heard? What types of things must you have heard at your yeah. dinner table? Yeah. yeah. Right. So if that child grows up and when they grow up, let's say they go into business with daddy. Yeah. And when you go into business with daddy. You and daddy are caught discriminating against people of color. Maybe you think back to how daddy probably said some of the nasty things that were being said out at the Klan rally where he was arrested. These things become your norm, right? Yeah, dude, 100%. Now, fast forward because you got to figure these are your formative years that you're hearing this stuff. Exactly, exactly. Dude, you're, it's cementing in your brain. These are your norms, like you said. Yeah. Then you go on, and now that I'm in, I'm approaching my mid forties. Yep. I no longer associate with being young because you can't say you're young on any level when you're, you're approaching your mid forties. You're middle aged now. Right. So when I think about the most 
favorable times in my life. You know, the times before I had relentless bills and responsibilities, right? <laughs> you spending too much. I mean, you must dress too good. If you got right. relentless bills. <laughs> right. That, when, when you sit back and you think about those times, the greatest of times, didn't it usually take you back to your teen years? Oh, dude, 100%. You're carefree. Like there you, you go. You just like, yo, what's the curfew? Cool. How, <laughs> how can I get around that? All right, right, cool. I'm spending the night at such and such's house. Oh, yeah, we're good to go. Let, let's go. Right. Oh, right. Dude, 100%. 100%. And so now you fast forward and you're in your 70s. Mm. And you've got a major platform. And you tell people while you have this major platform that your goal is to return the country to a place where make it great again yeah it's but great just, again for you is likely those formative teen years that we just described yeah because if dude if you really break it down again like yeah trump's a little younger than biden he ain't that much fucking younger than biden that's right so we're in 2020 let's that's subtract right. 70 that's right. 1950 when was mlk shot Right? 68. Like, yeah, man. So you start putting this together. That man, his total, the totality of his yep. teenage years yep. are sitting there in New York with an entrepreneurial father holding on and trying to get cheap labor and swearing. Like, you can't imagine what this dude yep. is hearing growing up. And not yep. just him, yep. anybody that's set. Dude, if you're over 50, I might go. even say over 40 to be honest with you. Like, so I'm, I'm approaching 40 and again, like you're kind of aware of it depending where you grow up, but it's so when people are like, yeah, man, racism kind of done. It's like, dude, mm-hmm. all you got to do is to go to a parent and it's yep. pretty clear. Racism is nowhere near done. Think about it. We're the first generation to not experience segregated schools. Yeah. And we're just, you're approaching for it. I'm but, just but, in my early 40s. But dude, you're still that. in buildings, dude. I student taught in Milford where you're like, why do they have two water fountains right next to each other? Oh, shit. Yeah. You're still in the buildings. It's now condemned, but right. it's still in a segregated building. Dairy That's Queen right. is there with two windows for a reason. That shit blows my mind every time I drive by it. That will blow your mind. Let's see how well you know Lewis Beach. Um. Not not super well, to be honest with you. I mean, I know I know where Dairy Queen is. I know where the parking lot is. State Park, you take a left. Okay. You get to the inlet, but I, I'm All not. All right. I'm Stay not with me. Visualize. Take me. Okay. So we're traveling. We're traveling up Savannah Road. All right. All right. So Dairy Queen, we're, we're heading towards the beach. Um, we're at the stop sign where Dairy Queen is. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you know there's a parking lot there. Yep. If we make a right... At that stop sign, before we get to the Cape May Lewis Ferry Terminal, okay. the second Lewis parking lot entrance is there on your left. Yep, real quick. Right? Yeah, real quick. That second parking lot used to be the blacks-only portion of Lewis Beach. Shut the fuck up. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. They still as Black Beach. That's what that's what locals call it, Black Beach. There used to be there used to be in my lifetime there was a raggedy fence that separated the two. And I never understood why. And you had to figure I'm growing up in the in the late seventies, early eighties. Um, I never understood why just naturally, if we wanted to go to the Dairy Queen, we'd walk up 
to the road and then to Dairy Queen instead oh. of just cutting across the damn beach. Wow. Because that that old culture was still there. There, there was no longer – there were no regulations or anything that said you can't do that anymore. But the culture, you figure if our parents, that's how they grew up and that's how it was when they grew up. What are they teaching us? Yeah. And yep. that – dude, that small town stuff too, like how many cops are in the town at that time? And like, how did you go to school with that person? And if you do something, where do you fall in that person's social circle to either help or hurt you, right? Yeah, but but that was also true community policing too. Um, stuff got solved. Crimes got solved. I know there are some murders that didn't get solved in Lewis, but crimes generally got solved because everybody knew everybody. You'd, you'd have to be a jackass to rip off uh, a store and these people know who the hell you are yeah. <laughs> <laughs> these people know who you are and, so. and, and just a, a sussex county thing and, and maybe you'll understand this will this will um strike a chord for you coming from uh, new york uh, when you got here you probably learned quickly in sussex county it's your last name first people want to know who you belong to so true and then figure out who you are among that clan. So, dude, my name is O'Grady. I have mm-hmm. yet to meet another Delaware O'Grady. Okay. Do you know what I'm saying? And like mm-hmm. that put me on the outs in so many ways. I didn't realize at the time <laughs> until you look back and you're like, no wonder they don't give a fuck. Like, man, you ain't lingo. <laughs> like if you were fucking named lingo, you'd be cool, man. But you ain't a fuck. Like, right. Like all these names. Mm-hmm. So Jesus, that's so that, that that's. That's poignant, dude. That is so true. Oh, yeah. Folks will figure out who you belong to. And once they know who you belong to, so you're a howl. Okay. Um, I know some howls. I'm going to figure out exactly who you are among that clan. I'm going to go to the howl that has the most clout, too, because I'm going to make sure that you get the message, young man. And that's how stuff got done. Dude, that is so – me and my friends, two or three of us, and I forget what we were doing, but we thought we were being slick by that cemetery – by what used to be the um, what was it before? It wasn't a CVS, Edge Hill Pharmacy. Yes, yes, yes. Edge Hill. And, you talking about Odd Fellows? Oh, it wasn't Odd. I don't think it was. I'm odd. talking about the cemetery is Odd Fellows. On top of it? No, the cemetery that you're talking about is Odd Fellows Cemetery. Oh, got you, got you, got you. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were doing something back by like Blockhouse, something around there, and Bo Gooch, who was our <laughs> our Pop Warner coach, I think we might have been like trying to do like firecrackers or something. And he was Lewis police. That's right. Chief. He was chief, chief then. Chief. Fucking Chief Gooch came yep. and snatched us by the neck. And I can't remember the dude that would coach with him, but they had our three little scrawny asses and I'd never been so scared in my life, man. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm not a cop right now, boy. Do you not realize this? I'm Bo Gooch. And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, yep. don't I have rights? And he's like, you got no, fu- what, what are you talking and like put the fear of God in you. And yeah, we never went back. We were like, okay, that dude, that is so not worth it. Yep. Yep. And you can, and th- those are, those are timeless. Those are timeless treasures of, of growing up in a small town and those types of things I cherish. I, I absolutely do. Yeah. Well, it goes back again to Dr. Morris. Like, dude, could you imagine if Bo Gooch would snatch up an 11 year old punk now, put him in his spot and I deserve to be in the spot. But like almost like what you were saying about Dr. Morris, and I'm not saying anything poorly about Coach Gooch. Like, dude, thank you for helping me not to be an idiot. 
But could you imagine if I come home and tell my mommy that, oh my God, Coach Gooch put his hands on me and he grabbed me by the neck and he yelled at me and maybe said a curse word. And like, now all of a sudden that's on Facebook or something. And now the right. man got to deal with it. And he's like, no, no, I'm, I'm, how come you weren't policing your own kid? Why is that that's on me? That's right. Yeah, dude. No, you're so, you're so dead on about that community policing back in the day. I hadn't even thought about that. Mm-hmm. Yep. God. Memory lane. Yes, sir. So tell me about a stupid time, a stupid thing you got caught doing in Lewis. Cause I know there had to be at least one. You had to be a, probably more than one the way you're giggling, but mm-hmm. there had to be some stupid, God, I can't believe I got caught stories pedaling around no, Lewis. No, not, not in Lewis per se, because my grandfather had um, a lot of clout in Lewis and um, my grandfather was a hard man. My grandfather would whoop your ass <laughs> straight up. How did you? So let's stay there then. Tell me about your grandfather. What was the clout? Like he just was muscular or like, what do you mean? Well, I mean, so, you know, he was just a, he was a hard work. He was just a hardworking guy. And I think because he came, he, you know, he came from a different community entirely so that he didn't mm. have any family ties to the area before he came. He did ultimately migrate his uh, sister um, up into the area, but he was a hardworking guy. He was a handsome guy. Um, he was really tall and really strong and, um, he brought, well, he's passed away, so this is fine. He brought a, um, he brought a skill with him from North Carolina, uh, from the prohibition age, um, of alcohol. Oh. Um, he brought a skill with him and, uh, that skill, um, afforded him, uh, some clout in the uh, African-American community. And so lots of people knew him and lots of people knew his children, including my mom and then, of course, his grandchildren. So, you know, I didn't do I really didn't do any silly things in Lewis Um, in Milton, where the nucleus of my Howe family was. Oh, boy, there's so many of us, man. My grandmother had my grandmother's grandchildren were all stair steps. So we're like a year apart. Oh wow! And yeah, uh, <laughs> man, my grandmom had my grandmom had seven children. Oh, so you know, uh, most of them had children. Right. Um. So, um. Man, we man, we used to do some crazy. Man, we used to man. I don't know how my grandmom kept her sanity because my grandmother also coming up here from um a place called Newland, North Carolina. And they brought these family values with them, and when they came here, they just kept the same values um like like she grew up among all her cousins all her first cousins she grew up among them and they grew up like brothers and sisters okay. so now she's got grandchildren and she made sure that her her home was a hub for activity for her grandchildren so we'd all be over there and so we grew up like brothers and sisters not first cousins and right. um Man, because it was so many of us, man, she used to she used to tell us, I get so sick and tired of people in the neighborhood claiming about one of y'all doing something. Y'all play with each other. Stop playing with these other kids. Just play with each other because I'm getting tired of it. Man, we did some of everything. Man, we turned over um we turned over to all the tombstones at this uh this African American cemetery that's around the corner from our house. We didn't know. We used to play kickball in the uh um just in front of the graveyard because there was a uh, a grass lot and then the you had the um grave sites which were probably a couple hundred feet back and because me and one of my cousins that was closest to an age 
because we were at that age where the older kids wouldn't necessarily allow us to play unless they were shorthanded. Yeah. Oh, dude, those are the worst years. We're just <laughs> like you show up and you got to watch and you're hoping that like some kid's mom calls them home or whatever, you know, yeah. or like somebody gets in a fight and then they're just like, man, I'm out. And you're like, cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Give me. Yeah. Oh. Oh, that, yep. dude, that's the worst. We found out that tombstones were uh, were movable because <laughs> my my cousin and I were wrestling or when you're younger, wrestling. Right. We were wrestling and uh, he pushed me into one and it fell over. Man, once you know that once you know that that they could fall over, what do you think two little kids oh, did? Dude, it's on. Now we were y'all pushed. switching them like we used to do the real estate for sale signs back in the day or not? Yeah, no, no, we didn't do that. We okay. weren't thinking about that. We just pushed them <laughs> until we knocked them all down and somebody <laughs> called up. And uh my grandmother couldn't I didn't know exactly who did it, but she knew it was her grandkids. Uh <laughs> We all got punished, man. And the ones who had nothing to do with it, because because it, we grew up with rules, too. It wasn't no telling on each other. Right. Whoever the authority figures were, they had to figure out who it was. And if the punishment came down and the wrong person got punished, you just took it. Suck it up, man. Like, yeah. Because like, I'm going to take it for you. You take it for me, man. I'll take it for you. Yeah. And hell, you got to figure, man. My grandma had, at that time, because she got a lot more now, but at that time, it was easy. Six, seven of us. God. Easy, God. easy. God so the chances woman. of her getting for being for certain, yeah, probability, <laughs> probability. Oh, damn it. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> God bless her. I love and miss her. I, I do. I dude, do. But dude, it, it's it's awesome when you got strong people in your life like that, so that you can act a bit of a fool, but not become a fool. Right. You know. Cause, cause you, it's part of growing up, but you, you need something that just keeps bringing you back to not going over that edge, you mm-hmm. know? And you take my grandfather, for example, and Lewis and the reason I wouldn't cut up in Lewis and Lewis, my grandfather, my grandfather's side, he only had three, me, uh, well at that time it was me, um, my brother, uh, who is three years younger than me and my cousin, Kevin, who is a year younger than my brother. So for my grandfather, it's simple. Which one is it? Is it the big one, the middle one, or the small one? <laughs> he just had one identifying factor. Yep, because they were all ask, boys. It was all witness, boys. Which one, one was it? Was it the big one, the middle one, or the small one? <laughs> right? <laughs> that makes sense, then. That makes sense. God. So, yeah, man. Yeah, dude, I don't. So, and just as a side note, like talking about like getting whooped, like I, it's hard for me to deal with people that help kids to feel like they got the power in the family <sighs> dynamic. A- am, am I just all the way wrong with that? Because a- am I wrong to, and I, I have one daughter. Am I wrong that I love the fact that she knows if I want to, it's over. Right. Like, like th- th- there's that little sense of fear where it's like, no girl, like, do you need to feel this or are or do you get the message? And I feel there's some value in that for children, but maybe I'm wrong, you know, cause I'm, you know what, in, 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 in your current profession and in my profession, we can't speak on that other than how we grew up. And right. I will say this, when I grew up, there was no mistaking who, who was in charge. Yeah, there, there was none of this, what I call partnership parenting, where oh, Jesus, the yeah. kids feel like they are partners. No, you know, no, no. 
Yeah. No, no, no. I, you're not a partner. I pay the bills. I subsidize your entire lifestyle. Dude, at best, you're an employee. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <An> unpaid one. <laughs> no doubt. Bitch, you're an intern. You ain't even an employee. You don't even get benefits. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. We are not partners. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it, it's it's a weird dynamic for me. And it makes me think like, why? Like, how did that, is it, was it not like, like, is it always like that in just different circles that I wasn't a part of? Because I'm trying to think back to like all my friends. I was a little trailer park dude in um, Harbison and Tall Pines. That's kind of where like, after we moved from Lewis, mm-hmm. um, we went to Tall Pines Trailer Park. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking back to like, the kids I rock the kids I ran around with in Lewis were almost on that like partnership parenting thing, which I love, but like you get to tall pines and like, you know, who's in charge, man. Like it, your mom says, come in. It's like, yo, I gotta get in. I'm not trying to be in trouble. <laughs> and, and like, it's like, yeah, that's just what you did. And it makes me wonder like, how does that circle? Why does that circle feel that way to just let kids have so much power? I've never understood man, it. I got a story for you. Good. I'm, at, I'm I'm playing little league. Um, I'm playing major league. I'm probably I'm probably 11 years old, and I see this kid. I see this kid from school, and uh, his you know he's he's acting up. His mom is like, "Come on, uh, let's go home." He's like, "Shut the fuck up!" Oh no, bro, bro, no, bro. First of all. <laughs> First of all, oh god, dude, in there's my neighborhood, so many, so in many my neighborhood, in in town, Lewis, <laughs> it didn't even matter if that was your parent. If you said some shit like that to an adult and someone saw you, oh. they'd whoop your ass, take you home, you'd get your ass whooped again. So I'm seeing like, <laughs> yo, and I'm seeing a kid, and, and so listen, right? In full disclosure, I've been cussing since I was in like second grade. <laughs> um, because remember I told you about that skill that my grandfather had. Yeah. Um, so he would have some of his clients would come um, to to our to his home and, and you know they'd hang out in the yard and I'd heard lots of colorful language. So I knew in second grade that there were words that people didn't say um code switching normally. Code right? switching. <laughs> but these words were cool. Yeah, I also so knew true. you couldn't say those words. Those words you couldn't say as as a child. Yeah. So you know, like the f word. No, come on, man. That no. the f word is at the top of the list. Dude, that 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 yeah, that's that's straw. I don't even know. Like, what right. what is the like? Not straw that broke the camel's back. That's like the word that got your ass. Yes, whooped. yes. Because <laughs> like, there's no dude, mistake. That's it. You, like I'm snatching you. Know you. When you you know when you wanted to be cute or you wanted to see. Yeah. If you could test the limits, you use ass. Yeah. <laughs> right? You'd be like, you're a jackass. <laughs> that's and that's said, bullshit. What'd you say? Yeah. No. You'd be like, I'm talking about a donkey. Exactly. He said, no, 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 no. <laughs> what'd you say? So you're a jackass. Stop, beach. That's a donkey. Stop, You'd be like, beach. that's a donkey. Yeah, They'd be no. like, no. You say donkey. You don't say jackass. <laughs> yeah, right. Put right. you in your place. Just so right. you know where you stand. Let me put you in your place. Yes. And so to hear this kid. Jesus. To hear this kid tell his mom, shut the fuck up. Wow. And she's like, get in the car. I'm like, I'd be toothless. No, give me the bat. <laughs> I'd be toothless. <laughs> I'd be milk carton ready. Folks would be like. Y'all remember Cliff. 
Dude, you'd be, you be in the canal. You'd be in the canal, man. <laughs> yes. That was such a culture shock. And, such a culture shock. And like mom just sits in the car and the kid just keeps hanging? Like that's I mean I mean he's walking towards the car, but it wouldn't have been no walking for me, yeah, man. The my outward mom. disrespect. Oh my god. So here, dude, this is how I knew like I kinda I kinda was raised right. So I, I coach basketball in the middle school and um mm-hmm. I got I got this one kid and you're doing a scrimmage and um I think the kid was in sixth grade at the time. So everybody always wants to see their kid play, right? Mm-hmm. Um but I was at Woodbridge for a little bit, so I come to Beacon, so you don't know like the names and like the why are there forty people here for this one kid who's in sixth grade kind of a thing, but like I mean, dude, some 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 families roll really deep to sporting events, right? Mm-hmm. So this one mom is letting me have it. Put my son in the game. You don't know what you do. And it's my first time, first game, first scrimmage, first school, first time at this job. And I'm like, whoa, this woman is over, right? Like she's just going nuts. But I'm ignoring her. First quarter, just laying it into me. Every chance. Second quarter, laying it into me. Halftime, we're walking to the locker room. She's making sure I know who her, who should be the five that come back out, right? Mm-hmm. Third quarter, the kid turns around and says, Mom, would you shut up? Mm-hmm. And I went to that kid and I said, if you ever want to play for me, you better walk up in that stands, give your mother a hug and say you're sorry. All she's doing is showing you how much she loves you right now. Respect that. Mm-hmm. And dude, after that, that woman was so nice to me, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but, but dude, you like, you just don't do that as a kid. Like you're not a grown. Don't, don't, don't act grown. Yeah. Incredible, man. Incredible. Dude, that dude, that's some old, yeah, that's God, little league, little league and Lewis and the family connections, man is awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jesus, this is fun. Like, you know what, man? Maybe I should like start veering the podcast into just talking about the history of the place I grew up because I had no idea about so much of this, dude. And it's it's interesting as hell to me. Well, I you know, and I know a lot of I know a lot of the history and stuff too, and that's why uh, a lot of my friends they do enjoy uh, talking to me, and that's probably why um, you know we got that referral um, just because I do know a lot of this stuff. Yeah, I'm going to call him out. Haywood, I've been asking you to come on, man. You keep blowing me off. Now, Haywood tries to act like he don't have the attention span to conversate for an hour and a half. And and I kind of believe it because I coached with him. (laughs) But at the same time, like he's another dude where I'm like, man, people need to hear your perspectives, your thoughts, and your experiences to just kind of understand sometimes the why behind an action. He's a he's a walking sports almanac though of Sussex County sports. Dude, I told him I'm like, dude, you need you need to be the next Fred man. Like it, like you get to talking to him about anything that happened, and the way he can speak and recall is just amazing, amazing. Mm-hmm. Yep. God, man. So, do you know when when you're leaving Cape and going to high or going to college, are you all in on this um, historical black? universities is that like a definite for you absolutely tell me Um, a little bit about why why h when i always mess up the um acronyms hbcu historically black colleges and universities yeah give me a little bit about why that was so important to you well um so i told you you know i had this thing going on where um i i just i hated february i really did and um around the same time 
uh, Bill Cosby launched a spinoff show of the Cosby show, which was called A Different World. Yes. And he was introducing the concepts and the history of historically black colleges and universities to his viewing audience. And the things I saw there, people who looked like me who were at college, and I was like, that's what I want to do. Now, I tell you something that is interesting and something that cemented it for me. I told you, I was a, I was a good student, um, always. I had uh, my guidance counselor at Cape. And when it came time to apply uh, for colleges, um, I did decent. Um, I could have done better, but I did pretty good on my SATs. And so back then, you know, you could tell the SATs uh, when you took them, you could have their results come to your school and you could have results go to certain schools for early acceptance. So I'm getting early acceptance letters and they're, they're coming from um, HBCUs and my guidance counselor says, um, so, you know, I'm getting these uh, acceptance letters. She was like, "Uh, who all did you apply to? So I I told her, you know, I'm going to apply to it. I'm naming Delaware State University, Morgan State University. I really wanted to go to Morgan State University because um, I have an uncle who's three years older than me. And he started at Morgan, but he didn't finish. And um, I've always been in a soft competition with him um, in a positive (laughs) way. So I wanted to to go there. Um, I'd also applied. um, It wasn't Howard. I applied to HBCU down south. I can't remember which one. It's a long time ago now um so she was like uh you're not gonna apply for um and she was uncomfortable she's like uh you're not gonna apply for any regular colleges oh lord and i said did that stick with you i was gonna i was about to say did that just trigger it right there when she said regular yes she's like she's like yeah i said um I said, yeah, I said, I want to go to a college where I can feel comfortable, where I no longer will be one of two or three African-Americans in a class. I want to learn again, uh, learn around people who look like me. She said, well, you know, that's not real life, don't you? Oh, my God, dude. Listen. Oh, my God. (laughs) From that moment. (laughs) What the fuck? Yeah. And this happens to black and brown children more than more than people think. Yeah. So behind closed doors. Right. Yep. God. So from that moment, God, and and I'm hoping that maybe she changed, which is why I'm not saying her name. Yeah, right, absolutely. Um, but if I had to bank on it, she probably didn't. Um, I said, I never ever want to speak to this woman ever again, and she can't guide me for anything. And you figure that was my junior year. Wow. For oh, the rest shit. of my experience at Cape. Yeah, and I'm I'm just going to pause you there because like it's I feel like it's way easier now to get yourself into a college without a guidance counselor. Mm-hmm. But back then, what are we on dial up at this point if that? Oh yeah, no, hell, I what I I was introduced to the internet at college. Yeah, so like the oh. connections <laughs> of how to apply for things you're not just attaching a document and sending an email. You're not right. logging onto a website and filling out an application and clicking submit. That guidance counselor is your lifeline to next right. level for so many kids. Right. I just wanted to like try to contextualize that. Right. And so wow. 
let let me let me give you the cherry on top of the ice cream. Oh man, I don't know if I can handle it. I got a stomach ache already. So <laughs> you, it's it's senior awards night. And you know that they're there and they're handing out, um, you know, the awards, the different scholarships that you've gotten, the different awards that you've gotten. So on awards night, I have to stand up there. And remember, your guidance counselor is the one who presents you with the awards. So I've got these awards and I've got these scholarships. And this woman is standing up there and she's reading these. And, you know, of course, says, you know, that he intends to attend uh, this university in the fall. And the whole time, I've got to stand there and take a picture next to this oh, woman man. who asked me why was I only applying to non-normal schools. Knowing that your parents, grandparents are in the audience and they want nothing more than that picture to go up on a wall. Yep. You know, ask, like – Ask me if I have that picture. Oh, I, I, I mean – just just knowing you for this hour and a half, I'm gonna say not only do you not have it, you probably did something with it if it got Trash sent to you. That bitch. <laughs> God, God, yes. man, I do the audacity. Could you imagine? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, I shouldn't say could you imagine. Like, I'm, that's almost what you're getting at about like, mm-hmm. man, people just say racist shit and they don't even understand it. Final, like, uh, final, um final traumatic experience in the K through 12 system. I had a second grade teacher back in the day, back in the day, teachers could smoke at school. They couldn't smoke in the classroom. Oh yeah. In the lounge. Right. Or my second grade class, um, the, the way it was at Savannah Road Elementary, but where the classroom was, there was a, the school corridor, which was basically right next to our class. And I had a teacher. She was a chain smoker. <laughs> so she would give us assignments and she would go and she would walk outside the door and smoke a cigarette while we were working on the assignment occasionally. Right now. Now, 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 this might give you because this is second grade, and remember, I didn't get Mr. Morris for three more years. Yeah, all right. So, <laughs> one day she goes outside, and, and because she was a chain smoker, you know, her hands she had shaky hands. Oh yeah. And so when she'd go to write on the board, right, you know, she'd always <laughs> shaky hands. So, <laughs> you know, you and, and you could hear the doors opening and closing. That's another detail I want to give. So I knew when I heard the door, when she walked out to class and I heard the door open, I knew she was outside and I knew she was smoking. She was going to be out there for a little bit. So I walked up to the chalkboard and I picked up uh, a piece of chalk and I was, my hands were shaking, right? You know, I was doing the shaky hand thing. Like you were a chain smoker. (laughs) I said, class, pay attention, pay attention. She walks back into, she comes rushing God, back into dude. the classroom, right? And like I said, I could hear the door. So when I heard the door, I put the chalk down. I went and sat down in my seat. Yeah. Beep, beep. She tells she tells me to stand up in front of the whole class. Oh. So I stand up. She's like, what is that you were doing? And I was like, what? What? I don't know. I don't know. What? 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 I wasn't doing anything. She says, yes, she was. I saw you. She told me in front of the entire class that I'd never be anything more than a piece of ghetto trash. Oh, and because of that, about once a month, I check the obituaries to see if she's gone. Wow. Yes. This stuff happens to, so for your listeners, this stuff happens to our children 
in the education system way more than than you would believe. Um, I'm writing a book. Um, I'm in the early stages of it, and uh, it's called Little Black Boys in a White Man's World. Mm. And it talks about and it's going to talk about um, basically the moment that little black and brown boys and girls enter the education system. They should be armed with a backpack and a flak jacket because the assault on um, on our culture begins then. Was I a bit of a class clown in that second grade class? Yes. Yeah, but you just need to be put in your spot, dude. You don't need to be labeled like that. Right. Right. And yeah. And so that gives you an idea of the duality and the the two different worlds that I had to walk in and navigate in K through 12. And that's how I wound up knowing that I was going to an HBCU. No ifs, ands or buts about it. God. Yeah, it, it, you just can't. I don't know. I, 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 you can't comprehend that. Like I've never been called though. I was, I've never been called white trash. Like that's mm-hmm. why your little poor white trash ass is always going to be in a trailer. Now I felt it right. Like I felt like people looked at me like that, mm-hmm. but I never heard. I never got, and I don't know. I, I never grabbed chalk in second. Maybe I did. I don't remember. <laughs> it was funny, man. It was, Dude, it was that's, funny. But that's the type of shit like you got to laugh at with kids do, man. Like, especially if like, by the way, should we call the principal in here? And is he cool with you leaving all these kids unattended so you can go fucking smoke? Like, but it was, a, it was a different time, man. I don't even 100%. think she would get in trouble for that because how close the – because like I said, she would just go outside the door and there was windows. We had windows in our right. class. So that's how she saw me. <laughs> she saw me with the chunk. I, as, as a second grader, you don't think things through. I just knew she was out there. She was smoking. Yeah, I had no not. idea that when she smokes, she's looking in the window at us. So. Yeah. No, no. I saw an opportunity for my comedy skit. Yeah, yeah. you're playing. You're playing checkers. She's playing chess. She's looking at the whole board. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh Early God. moments of deaf comedy jam. Dude. Yeah. Oh, shit. Um. Talk about another like commercialization that just fucking op- HBO puts that shit on, and you're like trying to figure out how can I get HBO to see this shit. Um, yeah, man. Um. So, I, I guess I want to stay a little bit with the education. Is this why? education and being um being an educator is so important to you or did you because you're also such an advocate and a historian i guess i'm curious that how the hbcu did you go in as an education major or are you kind of like figuring out what am i going to do no my undergraduate degree is uh, history and political science um i when i went to college uh, my aim was to uh, go to law school and uh, be defense attorney a defense attorney. And shortly after I got my undergraduate degree, you know, after being broke uh, <laughs> most of my life and, and for those four years, I got a pretty good job offer <clears throat> for um, a, a local state agency that worked on criminal justice. And that agency uh, put me in contact with members of the courts, members of um of the uh, defense community and the prosecutorial community. And I started to see um, it wasn't so much what you knew. Lots of times it was 
who you knew. And that kind of turned me off from, you know, wanting to dedicate my life to um, a a career in law, if that's what it was going to be. For sure in Um, Delaware, right? I mean, for sure in a small state like Delaware, like people don't understand how small Delaware is when you get up that totem pole. Yep. And so education itself was stressed by my grandparents and my great um, my great uncles and great aunts. They always told me that you get an education because that's something that they can't take from you. Mm. Um, if you get an education, no one can tell you you are less than what you know. And they knew that education flipped. I grew up in poverty. Education in, in one generation. My daughter She's never seen any aspect of poverty. My daughter doesn't have a clue how I grew up. And on on one hand, that's a good thing. But on the other hand, she's missing so many values that I learned, um, you know, growing up in poverty, uh, you know, just the appreciation of material items, you know, like material items really aren't important. But if you have them, that shit's a luxury. So you take care of that. Dude, fuck material items like Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi. Dude, you know, it was yeah. It she thinks was, the world's coming to an end if right? I take her Wi-Fi. Dude, it was a battle. A bat. Dude, I'm bussing tables. I'm cutting grass. I'm like, and I'm like, Mom, can I pay this internet bill for six months? Here's the six month minimum. Can we please get internet at the house? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? And like, what? dude, that's such a thing that um, I, I don't know. And I I didn't mean to cut you off about your educational trail, man. But that just as another father, that's something that I so worry about. And it's almost ironic. The fact that like you grew up through this poverty and you appreciate it because it helps you to kind of get that hustle, that mentality of figuring out how to succeed. And it's a real worry, almost like second generational wealth where like, will my child be successful or am I actually doing them wrong by limiting their struggles? Right. And and think about this. My grandmother had seven children. Five of her seven children got college degrees. Um, wow. From, from wait, associate's wait. degrees up to master's degrees. Dude, say that and one more time. Your grandmother had? Seven children. And? Out of her seven children, five have college degrees. And that's not you. That's your no, parents. That's my parents' So generation. again, that's if we're putting- Hundred yeah. percent. So again, put that into that perspective of time and place. That's right. To get those grand- kind of things. My grandmother did not have a high school diploma. Wow. Talk about and and like so and I'll just say this like and and I want to say talk about breaking the cycle because that's how they talk about it like in education, but speak about like like that's it, it, it's not amazing because a lot of people would see it as ordinary, but for the time mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. taking that as how does this woman get five out of seven kids to college without a high school diploma? That's amazing. Yep. By talking about the sacrifices that she had to make and what her life was like. My, my grandmother, she worked 30 some years in the, um, in the poultry, um, in the poultry factory in Milton. It had different names. It started as, um, it started as Paramount. Um, then it went to Cargill and then it went to Allen's. Um, she retired from that. And that was a backbreaking work. And she used Dude, to always yeah. talk about how, you know, you get an education, you make sure that you don't have to do this type of work. Mm. And um, so um, it was always driven home. And that's why you see me be so big on education itself. Um, also, um, HBCU, I told you how I 
landed there and the way it transformed my life, the way um, it allowed me to be comfortable and it put me at a place where, you know, by the time I left Delaware State University, I served as debate team captain. Um, I had also become um, the top major um, in the political science department. Um, My senior year, I was top major. So, you know, I was able to excel among people who come from lots of different places. So it wasn't just right. that I was a really smart person from my neighborhood or from my community. Yeah, that's um, empowering. Right. So um, I knew then what attending that HBCU uh, had done for me, and I knew the power of it. And so that's why I'm such an advocate for it. And I and the beauty is I had a dream, uh, not like Dr. King, but <laughs> I, I I dreamt of when I was sitting in, was sitting there, one of the most impactful courses that I took was African American history. Actually, two of them because I took both um, up to the Civil War and then after the Civil War. And sitting in that class, I used to say how amazing it would be to teach um, mm. that class at that university. And now I teach both of those classes at that university. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know what kind of liberties you have um, to speak about it, but I'm kind of interested as an educator that you get your curriculum and I'm an ELA guy. So I'm a story guy. I'm not a historical guy, if that makes sense, right? Like mm-hmm. I break down literature. I can identify your issues with recall, with writing, with organization, with um, whatever, supporting your claim. You know, like I'm, I'm pretty good at that. But mm-hmm. something that I feel like I'm terrible at and Haywood is, again, has actually – just speaking with that dude has helped me to understand. It makes me think of the quote, like winners write history. Mm-hmm. How different history. And again, if, if I'm ignorant, man, feel free to slap me when you see me, although not as hard as you can with that 330 behind it. Um, but like how different is history class at a HBCU versus 11th grade, whatever, 12th grade problems of democracy. So, one of the most beautiful things, and it's something that I stole from my professors, and, and I do it now. The very first day of class, they told us a lot of that. A lot of that that you learned from K through twelve. One of the first things you're going to have to do is unlearn that. Mm. Um, HBCUs have told a more comprehensive version of history since their founding, because. African-Americans have been a part of every significant moment and activity in this country's existence when we had the opportunity to tell our story and to tell our truths. We were always presenting a more comprehensive version of history because we were not marginalizing or minimalizing the impact and contributions of any other people. HBCUs didn't just teach black people. They taught Native Americans and they taught Jewish people too, before Jewish people were deemed as white in America. Gotcha. Yeah. That's a weird misconception that I didn't realize I had. And then I got schooled on like, like Jew is like black Hispanic, Mexican, like, like, <laughs> like, like, it's not like a religion. It's, it, it's, it's a race. And like, you're like, wait, no, Jews are religion. It's like, no, they're not white. They're Jewish. <laughs> and dude, that was something that blew my mind when I realized that I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. 
Um, when yeah, a lot uh, of people don't realize the, that when the early waves of um, Jewish uh, individuals came to America um, before uh, World War II and certainly after World War II, um, they weren't allowed to go to uh, the white, the predominantly white institutions, which we abbreviate to PWIs. They weren't allowed to go there. They were educated at HBCUs. And then those who were education majors, they weren't allowed to teach <laughs> at mm. white schools. Wow. They taught at HBCUs. So, and I don't know if you can boil it down to one or two things and you can take it whatever you want. Just like I, and, and it's funny because again, this is why I love speaking with intellectual people with different perspectives, right? And if I didn't have this podcast, man, I don't know if we ever would have met. <laughs> um, but are there some like real, like, oh man, you think this is what it is in history, but this is a misconception. Really, this is something a little deeper or there's more to something else. Are there certain like misconceptions that people typically have in history, like thinking Jewish people are white, that mm. you can kind of maybe shed a little light on? Is that Easy. a stupid question to ask or is that? Easy. The, oh. the, greatest, the greatest document in the last 500, 600 years you would widely regard, or many Westerners would widely regard as the U.S. Constitution, right? Yep. The U.S. Constitution is a concession on slavery. Concession on slavery. Absolutely. It, it includes the three-fifths compromise. Even prior to the U.S. Constitution, abolitionist movement in America was strong. Um, when the Constitution was being drafted, um, the abolitionists of the North wanted slavery abolished. The Southern planter class folks wanted slavery to be included because oh. that was their livelihood. That was yeah. how they made their money. And Wasn't out it? of it I'm sorry. came out of it came the Constitution, which included slavery, but it included a three-fifths compromise in the establishment of the Congress, which is how power would be divided in America. And so I was about to say, and, and I'm sorry, man, to, to interrupt you, but just to go simple, it was more like the South realized because we have so much land and we have all these slaves, if we don't get to count them as citizens, we don't get representation in this government and the North is just going to govern free, like according to their will. And we need to now recognize our slaves as people so that we have power with voting. So or, the, Congre the Congress looks and realize the, the Southerners look and realize that at the second constitutional convention, as they were drafting and developing um, not only the Articles of Confederation, but later the Constitution, they talked about what the country would look like and what representation would look like. Right. The vast majority of your founding fathers were Northerners. Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. And if you go back and you really look. Your most prominent Southern founding father is Thomas Jefferson. Virginia. Right. What, when he built Virginia, he built the unit – well, when he contributed to the uh, University of Virginia, he wanted it to be the Harvard of the South Oh. because he was used to being mocked and teased because he was a Southerner. They had jokes pretty much like he was just a dumb hillbilly. Gotcha. And when we know he is, he was the most educated and the most um, world seasoned as to culture of all the founding fathers. So even back then, 
you had this duality. And so as they're talking about how power would be set up, they're thinking, look, Northerners are already trying to get rid of slavery. It, not all Northerners, we'll say abolitionists, are already trying to get rid of slavery. And they've got a pretty strong voice, but it's not strong enough. Yeah. Um, we've got to have a way for the South to continue to make money. And the only way they could make money in the South was through slavery. And therefore, um, what they decided is – if these clamors continue to get louder in the north, there may come a day when our way of living and our lifestyle um, is no more. So we have to ensure that we have a way to persist. Now, northerners start saying, well, look, if we're not going to have a direct democracy, if we're going to have a representative democracy, then it should be by population. Right. Well, the north has your bigger cities. Yep. But the South, if you include slaves, they got a bigger population. So oh, the Southerners say, "Yeah." So Even the Southerners say, wow. "Well, we're gonna we want to count our slaves." And the Northerners say, "Oh, no, 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 no," because you said they're not people. Oh, that's right? a great counter argument. <laughs> they are, you know, their property, not people. So then comes the three fifths compromise, which is included in the Constitution, which says for every five slaves, they will count as three people. And that helped give the Southerners a reasonable balance in terms of population so that they could have the electoral votes to have a powerful say in the government. So that is a misconception. Most people just think of we the people when they think of the Constitution, but the Constitution in and of itself is a compromise on the issue of slavery. Man. And again, and that is and that is taught at HBCUs. That is a part of the comprehensive education that we that we give our students. Dude, that shit's 2020 250 years ago, man. <laughs> like you really think about that. That is nothing. That's right. In time wise, man, that's it's, it's, it's amazing that that's a call. And then you take that forward and you go a hundred years and you still don't have equal rights. Nope. Cause you got the Jim Crow. You, you got, you've My got, God, you've got a hundred years almost to the day after um, the civil war ends. You've got a hundred years of Jim Crow which is pseudo-slavery. Then you have from Jim Crow, well, well, from the end of Jim Crow, which is 1964, from 1964 up until President Obama, you have this pseudo, this pseudo world, right? Where folks are saying that this is a civil rights era, but it's better than it used to be, but half of the country realizes that it's really not what they say it is until the election of President Obama. And then you kind of see this ugliness come back to the surface. And it's like it was never gone. If you guys really just listen to uh, your African-American friends who we were trying to tell you that this stuff was there, that when we apply for jobs, when we apply for loans, mm -hmm. uh, we get treated differently. Um, so I, I want to ask two things. And again, dude, I, I'm finding it hilarious that before I recorded, I was like, Hey man, when you say when, cause I, I knew you were knowledgeable, but I'm like, Hey, I'm going to kind of like keep putting it back on you and you're doing a better job telling me about you than I am asking about you. But I'm so fucking enthralled by your knowledge, man. I gotta be honest. Like I, I geek out on this shit. I know nothing about Jim Crow other than that's a thing that's said. 
Do you know what I'm saying? Like I, I, I've never actually researched or understood the importance and the meaning of it. Mm-hmm. Can, do you mind giving me a breakdown of so it's that easy. or is that? So it's easy. So at the, after the fall of slavery, you have a world now where white people used to be able to enact um, terrorism legally on blacks because blacks had no redress in the courts. Okay. So now slavery's over and uh, the three, uh, what's known as the Reconstruction Acts, the 13th Amendment, 14th Amendment, and 15th Amendments are passed. 13th Amendment um, frees all slaves because the Emancipation Proclamation only um, freed slaves in places that uh, Lincoln had authority over, which was Washington, D.C. and places in the north. Um, so talk about a misconception. I'm sorry to cut you off, dude, but that's like, that's a huge misconception. I had no idea of. Right. Right. The the emancipation proclamation had no jurisdiction over any of the places in the South because it was an executive order. Um, it wasn't, he had, he had no authority. He had no authority over them. Hence when they decided to leave the union, when they filed articles of succession and they left the union uh, to pursue their existence as a separate country. Now you get the 13th amendment, which formally abolished slavery all throughout. um, But it had a loophole in it. That loophole was unless an individual was accused of a crime. Oh my God. So if you were accused of a crime, you could remain a slave. Well, follow me. Okay, I'm sorry. That opens that opens the door for the prison industrial complex. So what they would oh, do is shit. they would arrest black people or they would pass laws known as black codes, laws that were specific just to black folks to make them um, criminal. And once deemed um, adjudicated as criminals, then you could make them labor for free. It was perfectly legal, and that's your prison industrial complex. Did they were the prisoners put out to like? Could you bid and say, "I want prison labor to do this," or was it the prison system itself making money off of this free labor? Both. Shut up. Both. You. I mean, chain gangs. You know, digging trenches and digging ditches for certain farmers, building roads. This is stuff that in a post-slavery world, you'd have to pay fair market for this labor. But because they're deemed criminals – and look at some of the things that they criminalized. So if you didn't have a job for six months, they considered that vagrancy. Vagrancy was punishable in jail by up to two years. Stop, dude. Where are you going to find high numbers of unemployed people? Stop former slaves, right? People who can't read or write, you know, who aren't literate, right? Next thing, they may pass, they may pass a law that said that, you know, on the, on the seventh day, you know, or on a Sunday, um, you couldn't, blacks couldn't congregate more than um, four people at any given time. Wait, that was a thing. Right. Where, where are you going to find likely Four people congregating oh on a Sunday. Yeah, dude. You church. Can't, you, <laughs> so they that, wait outside the church and start trying to arrest people. Start trying to arrest people. Dude, that is so hard to believe. I'm not saying you're lying. Yeah. I'm just saying how the like think about if that shit like you can't even keep social distancing 
enacted right now, right. right? Like you're like, yo, limited to 10 and like motherfuckers are on piers being like, fuck you cops, come get us. And like you go to Dewey Beach and like they're like, that's what Car- like what sent Carney into a tizzy. Yeah. Right. And, and, and it, you apply and that, that same logical thinking that that oh my god. And to that point, right, since you're there. Oh my god. Watching these people say they're protesters and stand on government property armed with weapons. Oh dude, I can't imagine what that does. Because they can't get an effing haircut uh, or because dude. they can't go and move the way they want to go and move. COVID-19 showed a lot of these white this white privileged class of people just a glimmer mm. of what it feels like to live under the thumb to live under what they deemed an oppressive thumb because the difference and a lot of my black people get upset um hearing this the comparison of what we experience as people of color particularly african americans in in america to what these two months under COVID regulations, yeah, folks with, are running around here with saying, all sorts of subsidies, and not, I shouldn't say all sorts, but with you're getting a check in the mail kind of a stuff too. And yeah, yeah, but not just that. the The main thing is this: the COVID stuff was designed to keep you healthy, right? What black people endured for. 400 years and then another 100 years of Jim Crow after that, that wasn't designed to keep us healthy. That was designed to use our bodies for the financial gain of others. (laughs) Right? Yeah, dude, it it seems like I had no idea. Jesus. Yes. As a a side note, um, I I had a podcast with um, George or Jorge Valdez. Are you familiar Mm -hmm. with Jorge Valdez? I'm not. Okay. So he was basically one of the guys that the movie Scarface is based on. Okay. He was 1976 uh, Medellin, the the top cocaine operational distributor for Miami and California for three years. He's the one that made cocaine cowboys. Um, They they created Right after. Right after. So he went to jail. He got busted in 79. Um, he gives the business off to, I believe, one of his close confidants because he believed in the power of three where you only trust three in your circle and then that expands mm-hmm. so that you're always like separated. Mm-hmm. Cocaine Cowboys where all that wild shit came in was after him. He was actually – he was – dude, he was way more like fucking super savvy business accounting. Like he was the money launderer of it. Okay. But anyway, his contention is when you look around Miami and you look at all the beautiful shit that is built – you have cocaine to thank because it's that money and our companies that we founded with that money that made the infrastructure. Right. And why I bring that up is to connect to what you're saying. It's like, I don't know if people realize why so much of what America has is based off of this fucked up labor that, that that's begotten. I dude, I can't believe I had no idea that more than four on a Sunday type shit or no job for six months. What the fuck? Yeah, and the no job for six months was known as vagrancy. That they just call those vagrancy laws. Yeah. Think about this. What there's the a fuck? crime. There's a crime called reckless eyeballing. <laughs> if, if a black person, if a black person looked a white person in the eyes. Oh now, my god. That sounds that sounds unbelievable to you, it, right? Dude, it sounds stupid as hell. Like how, like you in second grade grabbing some chalk. 
And what, yeah. you're going to get arrested for reckless eyeballing? Right. Now, you, you've heard of a, a young man named Emmett too? I, thanks to, and again, this is my ignorance, um, only because LeBron James had um, spoken about it for a little bit. I hadn't like before then, to be honest with you. So the there's a myth that Emmett Till supposedly whistled at this white woman who was the um, who was the corner store attendant. Her name was Carolyn Bryant. Well, the truth of the matter is, it wasn't that he whistled at her because that was never true. That part wasn't true. He told his friends that that he had spoken to her. But when she sent her husband and her brother-in-law after him, what they went after Emmett Till for, what he got lynched for, was reckless eyeballing because he looked that white woman in her face. Jesus Christ, dude. Have you know having to get off a sidewalk? If you're black and and white people were walking and you were on a sidewalk and they were walking up the sidewalk, you had to get off the sidewalk. If you didn't do that, then you could be subject to, um, you know, criminal um, infractions. But quite possibly, you could be lynched. Yeah, dude, that's Jesus. So that's your Jim Crow, brother. And so and and to to go back to the. Black History Month in February. Hey guys, I want you to read some poems from a black poet. I want you to read a biography about Malcolm. And you're like, none of I I don't literally have no recollection of those last three things that you told me from my formal education. Mm-hmm. Yep. Dude, this now is you amazing. Come to an HBCU, particularly my class, you will learn about all those things. So what's the so Jim Crow is the one that stopped these, or I shouldn't say he's the one that stopped these laws, but let me ask that. What was his role in these laws? So Jim Crow is a, Jim Crow is a, a character. So there's something known as minstrel shows, which were where white people would put black shoe polish oh, on their shit, face and exaggerate face? their features. Or black people, um, also known as minstrels, they would sometimes exaggerate their features but wouldn't use black shoe polish and they would sing and dance and degrade African Americans and in, in, as stupid, um, uh, you know, incapable of being learned right. and just buffoons. Gotcha. So the one of the most famous minstrel characters was a character named Jim Crow. Oh. And that's why the series of codes, spoken and unspoken, written and unwritten, um, became known as Jim Crow. Gotcha. Jesus Christ, I'm ignorant. I'm dumb as hell. I love talking to smart people and realizing how dumb I am, man. Thank you so much. You're welcome, man. Oh hey, you're welcome. Each one teach one. Now you got a responsibility Dude. to teach others now. Dude, like that's some heavy shit to me, man. Hey, man. Hey, but the beauty is that's why there are these courses now. There are places, um, you know, for your listening audience, um, support your local HBCUs. Um, They've never been just about African-Americans. They're some of the most diverse uh, schools ever. And most HBCUs, though they served blacks, have always from their founding been inclusive in serving everybody. Hence, they serve Jews and Native Americans. Um, anyone who would walk through their doors, they would educate. So is it stupid to say it's a decent play if you're white to get a minority scholarship to HBCU? 
Absolutely. And that is how it works. White people get minority scholarships at HBCUs. Yeah. Right. Like I, I can't, I, 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 and I'm a little upset at my guidance counselor now, man. Cause like, dude, I'm, I'm growing up same place you are, dude. And to be honest with you, I went to the military, but mm-hmm. I literally, aside from Dell Tech and University of Delaware, no idea what Dell State was about. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why can't, why can't that kind of experience be not only brought up to like black people, but white, like to every student, like to just say, hey man, this is something that's worth going to broaden your horizons. Yes, indeed. Jesus, man. Talk about like some fucked up institutionalization of education, man. Yep. Yep. God. I feel so much smarter. I feel like a dumbass that like I I, I thought – so I in my head with Jim Crow, I literally – again, never having research, never having really – if I learned, I wasn't paying any attention. I thought it was some sort of court case where Jim Crow was an actual individual that then set laws in order. Do you know what I'm saying? Or like right. created some sort of precedent. I had no idea that that's a character. No, just, wow. uh, yeah, just a menstrual character. That's so fucking pathetic that I don't know that. It really is. God. Hey, now you do. Thanks to you. Thanks to getting to know you. That, man, now look at you that do. plug, dude. Look at, man, marketing, marketer. I love it. <laughs> All right, yeah, let's go there, man, because and Jesus, you're you're so much better at this. You can have my podcast, um, by the way, because you're so much better at keeping shit on track, Cliff. Um, talk about what you're doing with the news. Um, and what's your slogan that I love so much? So, you know, I I, I hashtag CHNN for the Cliff Howe News Network. I don't break the news down. I mean, I don't break the news, I break the news down. I fucking love that, man. Just like you've been doing for me. And how do you get to, like, how is that a side interest of yours on top of education? My undergraduate degree is in political science. So, you know, you cannot, you cannot get a political science degree and not be knowledgeable on the government and also current events. Um, it is something that always stuck with me, something I was always fascinated um, with. And then also I've always sharpened my knife by making sure that I read material and then I may look at the news to see how other people interpret the same material that I read. Um, mm. Typically on my news feed, I talk about stuff and I beat the mainstream media sometimes by weeks, but lots of times by days. Like I will have hit that on my news feed days earlier than they get it or that they're talking about it. And that's because I see and read and get the information largely in the same way they do. Internet is one of the worst places to get news where people really need to get their information. They need to go back and get newspapers. Real journalism still takes place in newspapers. Really? Why do you think that is? Because everyone can click public, like just like me with this podcast, I could have some fake person come up and spout off like Jim Crow was an actual individual and he was a hardened criminal and like say that shit, you click publish and now it's like news. Yep. That's part of it. I think the other, the other piece is so in our tribalism, um, lots of times we don't look at news for information. We look at news confirmation. for confirmation I, or validation. Yeah, 100%. Um, newspapers, print media, 
they're still subject. And, and and I don't want to say that you can't get good information on the internet. I don't want people. I don't want. I don't want people thinking that's what I'm saying. Um, I'm saying you have to go to reliable and trusted sources on the internet. And the internet, lots of times, because it's commerce driven, mm-hmm. they give you headlines for clickbait. You don't. You don't have that same ability like you like you do when you pick up um, that newspaper and you know that buried on page C three. There is your favorite columnist, the one who does these in-depth investigations that some people might find interesting or some people might not, uh-huh. that his column is always there. That's where you're going to find most um, information that is not being spoken to on the front page. You're going to yeah. find it there days and weeks earlier than it gets to the front page. Dude, I love how you just said the internet's for commerce. Cause again, it's mm-hmm. .com for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. And so many people don't realize that everything that gets published on, well, I shouldn't say everything, but the majority of things that get published are to whatever, give you cookies, make you look at an ad, like they're designed to bring in revenue where the newspaper just has a bunch of blocks that they need filled. And the revenue is predicated upon the information being good. And filling up whatever 40, 50, 70 different pages of things. That's such a great point versus like one little blog or one little article um, that can get posted for a headline. Can you imagine what Vietnam would have been like oh my God. If, 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 if the internet was around? No, no, dude, <laughs> no, no. Because the, the Vietnamese on social media... Think about that, dude. Yeah. You see what China yeah. did with with like protesters and right. social media. What is what are what if like Vietnamese videos get leaked out and you're like, that's what we're fucking doing? Yeah. Look at what ISIS did. Look look at what look at what ISIS did using the internet and what Al Qaeda did using the internet. They were they their recruitment was through the roof. Yeah. And you know that shit was pure fucking propaganda. Yeah. You know it was. Yeah. <laughs> right? Jesus. Yeah, take right? that take that to Hitler as well, dude. Oh, man. Like master manipulator, get on board with that like mafia-styled enforcement and man. you're like what would happen? Listen, if the Russians could do what they did in in 2016 manipulating um american social media platforms and and they are they're not even on the same planet as hitler in the brown shirts were in terms of um propaganda and in terms of how to use um eliminate a free press and use state-run media for the purposes of of washing minds man because the russians couldn't even figure out how to make their shit like sound right like it's so easy to see when shit's a bot. I guess for like someone decently educated, right? right. You're like, what the fuck is up with this tense? How come you don't have an apostrophe? There are no capitals. There's no periods. Whatever. Like, right? Misspellings. Yep. But like, you put that versus a suave motherfucker, and yep. it is manipulative as all get out. And dude, I'll see it on Facebook, and it drives me nuts. Dude, someone was fucking posting this picture about like China just had their second worst COVID breakdown, and 118 million people are in lockdown again. And you're like you believe that or are you putting that up as like some dumb shit? Like what, what the fuck? Like, cause, cause you found it on a website. 
Like, do you want me to make a website in 30 minutes and send you some shit? And like, what, uh, let you know that I need your money. I'm a Nigerian prince. Send me your shit and I'm going to flip it and make you $3 million out of your 10 grand. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I, I don't, man, I, I, I don't social. get, I don't get why we're such sheep, man. I really don't. The the most controversial statement that I'll make on this podcast is that social media made some people forget that they were remedial. Oh, I like that. Right. You you go through your social media feed and you think back to uh, the children. You think back to the students who were in the classrooms that had construction paper over the windows so you couldn't look in and see who was in there. Uh-huh. The most fucked up post on social media come from them same people. Think about it. Go through your that's, that's your exercise. Go through your news feed. Man, that ain't a workout. That, that, like I'm not getting a six pack with that. You ain't getting me down that rabbit hole. That's a waste of time, man. That ain't no exercise. That's me eating like a gallon of ice cream. You know what that is? That's me getting closer to your three thirty. <laughs> that is um, you know, that is um, do do that. And look and be like, I'll be damned <laughs> because Dude, it's true. Um, I, I have no, well, cause, and, and again, dude, you've been gracious enough. You're at two plus hours and it's not like mm-hmm. your time isn't valuable. I'm sure mm-hmm. like you have a number of like, my time is worth this, right? Mm-hmm. Like I have a number. If like, I'm going to spend some time on something, I'm like, all right, my time is worth this. So I really appreciate it. But social mm-hmm. media, a lot of people don't value their time. So they'll stay on that thing and they'll just whatever with it. And you're, you're so right about it because they don't have anything else to add value to their time. That's all they got. Yep. Yep. God, that's awesome. Yep. So you're welcome, man. I, I said, and I felt strongly about this when I realized that you were, that you were local you were home, you were a hometown or on a home team. Dude, so appreciate um, I've, it. I've done interviews for uh, different podcasts and for people all over the country. And, um, anytime I can, cause I podcast to the Brown Eye perspective with Tracy and Cliff. Um, anytime that I can, I want to make sure that I give back to, uh, the folks from my community as well. Dude, I, I feel uh, like so appreciate that because it's honestly been kind of hard. Some people get kind of fearful of putting themselves on the record for an extended period of time, mm-hmm. you know, but you got to find people like, man, it's okay to conversate. It's okay to learn. It's okay. Like if someone hears something you said, or I said like message, man, right? Like, like find us and ask us about it and gain some understanding that, that, that that's what I'm. It's been weird to me that the local aspect has been hard to get an audience, but I can get people from fucking Canada and England and Texas and Missouri and California all over the country. And you're like, why is it so hard to get people from who are intelligent and have things to speak about locally? So man, super appreciate that. You're welcome, brother. Um, You're welcome. Let me do this, man, because I end the podcast with this and I think you'll like this. Um, It's kind of gimmicky, but it's meant for you to tell like another second grade chain smoking teacher coming in. God, I love that story. All right. So (laughs) start thinking of a story and make it connect to this. So what I'm going to ask for is your best first for last. We've saved the best first for last sponsored by abstinence. Waiting makes it worth while. My best first for last. 
Um, that would be my best first job. Oh, love it. My my first job, I worked at the Lewis Yacht Club as a um, dishwasher, and then later on I worked up to work in the kitchen. Uh, I was given an opportunity um, to work there by a lady named Sally Broadhurst. And Sally saw two uh, two young black teenagers. She had posted a position for a job, and me and a guy from my neighborhood had both applied for the position. We didn't know how many she had open, and she really only had one, but she saw two young teenage African-American boys that could be doing lots of different things, particularly in the neighborhood I grew up in where folks were um, openly distributing uh, narcotics. So um, <laughs> she gave us an opportunity uh, to work work for her and in working for her she tried to do everything she could to give us as many hours as possible to make sure that we had money because a we did work hard but b that we had money and we wouldn't have a reason to or time since we're talking about time right. to be in the streets um at the lewis yacht club was also the very first time that i had ever been called a nigger by a white person why um we because i used the bathroom and, you know, for yacht clubs, you know, these are oh very God. wealthy people who pay a membership to go to these places. Right. And it was there that that's the moment that I call innocence lost. You know, the moment where you you, you never go back to being that child before because you just experienced something that changes your life for the rest of your life. And it was the reaction of people there that showed me. That because I don't get me wrong, my grandparents and my parents prepared me for the for a world that thought that way about me. Don't get me wrong. I knew it existed, but no white person had ever called me a nigger. I'd, I'd been called a nigger by black people. Right. But no white person had ever called me that um, to my face. And um, I told my boss and she was distraught. Now, there were also some teachers. Um, from our school district who were members there. And I'm going to tell you, um, art teacher, Miss Smith and her husband, she found out what happened. She went to, she went to him with her husband and she told him, I don't care how much money you have, how much money you think you have. She says, I'm telling the directors, and this is right in the, in this club. It probably got like a, it's dinner time. So it's probably about 75 to a hundred people dining there. So she went up to him in that moment. Yes, she did. And I'm yes, going to pause yes. you. You said teenager. So we're talking like 19. I'm 16. I'm 16. Yeah. We're talking mid nineties. 1993. Gee, God. 92. Perspective. 92. Perspective. What the yes. fuck? Yeah. 1992. Um. She says, she says to him, I don't care how much money you have. She says to the director there, she says, if he stays, we're out forever. She said, I know those two boys. Those two boys go to school with my kids. I teach them. They're fine young men. This is not acceptable. And then there, there were other people in there. Who, when they saw how agitated she was and they knew what had happened. It only takes were, one. Yeah, they were like, oh no, right? he's got to go. And they threw this guy out. And this guy had 
supposedly been a member there for like 30 years. Wow. And um, they threw him out. And, you know, after that situation, I just wanted to go home. You know, I really I just wanted to go home and just be like, you know what? I heard about this type of stuff. Um, and I went home and, you know, Sally came uh, to my house and she said, I need you to I need you to come back. This is the next day. I need you to come to work. Um, and I'm like, no. And see, I know my mom and then my, my parents are like, no. Oh, hell no. Yeah, I was going to say and, you go home and you tell your parents what happened, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, black parents too, like I'm a teenager, you know, black parents are kind of like, look, shit, we working hard as hell too, man. This <laughs> shit better be a fucking emergency. You know, you know, you, you come in here, you bitching cause somebody called you a nigger. <laughs> right. I, I'm not saying that's what they said to me, but I'm saying you have to, it's a mentality measure, yeah. you know, this stuff, you yeah, will yeah. bother some people that got to get up early and work. Um, so you know, she came, she talked to us and she said, listen, it's important that you come back because you got to understand there are a lot of people who did not think that that was right. And there are people who are fighting, you know, who, who are fighting for you guys. Um, you, this is, this is where I think you should be. I don't want what could happen to you in your neighborhood. I don't want that to be it. Mm. And she didn't have to. She went. She went above and beyond uh, when she didn't have to, and that always reminded me. No matter how active I am about racial and social justice, I never, ever, ever put people in a box because you don't know what's in the next person's heart. And there are Sally Broadhursts all over, right? And you do them a disservice if I were to look at everybody the same way I looked at that man who called me that word. Wow. And that's my best first for last. Dude, I'm power, powerful man. Dude, I, 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 I can't shout. And I want to say I actually went to school maybe with her son. Anton. Yep. Yes, but but that's a non-podcast story. The stuff that Anton and I did. They <laughs> used to babysit Anton. No way, dude! Yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> I'm so glad I got a local on just to shoot the shit, man. And I never met his mom, but you could tell from Anton just the way he was as a dude. He just seemed cool with like he was a floater, man. He just cool with everybody. He he's not. He didn't seem like a dick. He was just like, all right, cool, right, and. What Jesus, I can't get over that shit happening publicly yep. in the mid like nineties. Like that just it blows my mind, man. Yep. But again, you said it, like, dude, been a member for 30 years. So let's go back to those table talks at dinner. What's that man hearing, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Cliff. Cliff, if if anyone fucking listens to this and isn't smarter, shame on them, dude. I feel I'm so, so appreciative of you coming on here and giving this knowledge, dude. And I'm almost shameful that I asked you to focus on stories about you. And then I kept just wanting to pick your brain about your knowledge. It's all right, brother. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. But dude, it was a great blend, man. It was a great blend. Thank you so much for being the first local. Thank you for um, going down those Dr. Morris stories with me too. That shit was so enjoyable, dude. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, man, dude. It was great getting to know you. Thank you so much, Cliff. And uh, Take care. All right. Appreciate it, man. Huge thanks, big thanks to Professor Cliff 
for coming on the podcast. Man, you're a... Your knowledge of history and eloquence and speaking on it and your personal experiences, man, um, it was a pleasure, Ple- pleasure to listen to and so fucking insightful. Really appreciate your time and knowledge, man. Um, thanks to andrepsyche.com, A-N-D-R-E-Y dot P-S-Y-C-H-E.com. I guess I need to start saying Andre dot psyche.com or is it andrepsyche.com? Maybe you'll have to Google it for sponsoring the pod. If you're looking for a gift that you want to be completely original and even customizable, this is the website for you, even though I don't know its name, andrepsyche.com. And finally, friend, follow, subscribe, rate, review, comment, support the pod on any platform, including Patreon, since we're spelling stuff, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Just search us, the pod, that is. It's all one word, getting to know you pod, and we'll be there. Thanks for your support. Later.